everyone, and welcome to I Hope I Can Make It Through, a Degrassi viewing podcast. I am Donnie, your very exhausted veteran. I'm Frank, your just completely exasperated neophyte. So, this week we're going to be taking a look at Degrassi The Next Generation Season 2, Episode 11, Don't Believe the Hype. Before we get into this episode, we do want to stick a big old content warning on it because we are talking a whole lot about Islamophobia this episode. It is a huge factor in the A-plot, um, and it's a very specific type of post-9-11 Islamophobia, so we will also be inevitably talking about that and terrorism. Um, also relating to the B-plot, we are going to be talking a lot about toxic masculinity. Um, there's homopho- definitely homophobia. Oh, yeah, and homophobia. Um, so also be aware of that. Um, so if you need to sit this one out, we do not blame you. However, um, if you do want to listen to this episode, uh, we do have a very, very special guest that's going to be joining us today. Um, a published author, panelist, and overall great pal, um, our buddy Jazz is here to help us through this doozy of an episode. <laughs> hello, hello. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. So we need you here today. <laughs> um, we all need each other in this moment. <laughs> we really do. It's like this very terrible bonding experience we all just endured. <laughs> in the words in the mist. In the words of the Misfits, if you're going to scream, scream with me. <laughs> Truly. Like, this is, this is going to be us for the next two hours. Um, so, as always with our guests, especially our first-time guests, um, we love to ask them what their relationship to Degrassi is. So, Jazz, what is your relationship to Degrassi? So, I think... God, I'm trying to remember how old I was when I would have been watching Degrassi as it was coming on. Um, I dabbled a bit I didn't really you know sit down and watch each episode back to back but when I fell into um like you know sort of a watching stint or when they would be on as a marathon I would sit down and just absorb all of it um I had some certain uh let me start that one over I had um some really strong attachments to certain characters, um, Hazel and Marco being two of them. And so coming back through and, and watching episodes again, especially old episodes again, where literally everyone is a baby was, was very powerful and brought back a lot of emotions. I did have to stop the episode a couple of times just to kind of gather my thoughts and, and feelings about it. But yeah, I, I wasn't, a huge, huge Degrassi head, but I definitely did watch a bit. Well, it's always nice to have a veteran around these parts. <laughs> we weirdly don't get very many of them on here, so it's always nice to have somebody else who understands me. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to be of service. Thank you. Um, so, <laughs> so as always, we like to invite our guests to give one-sentence explanations of our A-plot and B-plot. So, Jazz, if you would like to take this on, please do so. Hmm. Let's say awkward post-9-11 Islamophobia meets real, real fragile masculinity is the plot of this episode for both the A and the B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very torn if we want to do A plot or B plot first. I don't know if y'all have any preference with this one. Time on the A plot. 
Uh, yeah, I, I would agree. Let's uh, let's go into the um, let's go into the B plot because fuck it. Yeah, that's that's just how I feel with episodes like this. Um, so our B plot, <laughs> our B plot is all about JT, which of course I see his wretched little face every single time, and I go, no, not again. I don't want any more of these plots with him because like. J- <laughs> Jazz, maybe you can speak to this because it sounds like you and me consumed Degrassi in a similar manner. Do you remember JT having an obscene amount of, like, plots? Yeah, yeah, they did give him a whole lot of of screen time, I felt. Like, he... It didn't seem like he would be the character that they would make almost sort of their poster boy, but he wound up being that, didn't he? Yeah, like, he's just always kind of there and like he and like always he finds a way finds a way and (laughs) it's just very confusing to me and i've talked about this on the podcast before but like there's a something about his character that just doesn't quite click to me as why he would become the poster boy because it's just like I, I feel like even his, like, maybe it's, it's also the company I keep, so, like, this one, your mileage may vary. But, like, I feel <laughs> I feel like a lot of kids that I knew who watched Degrassi were not even the type of kid that JT is. You know what I mean? Definitely, definitely. Like, he's, he's very, I mean, for lack of a term, he's very white bread, isn't he? Like, he's yeah. so yep. typical and, like... You know, the overarching standard of what you would think as a teen and not necessarily someone that you would want as, like, a major character in the series. Especially not such a forward-facing one that JT was. Like, he was literally, like, the star of every plot. And I don't know a single person, like you said, who watched Degrassi who could relate to JT. (laughs) Yeah, like, I like Emma as the face of it. I think that she's a really good example of a character who has certain, like basic protagonist qualities that like a lot of people can project their feelings on but also she has enough of her own substance and comes from a family dynamic that's a little different and has interests that are a little more out there that you can still like as a weird kid connect to her but also as like a more normie kid like relate to her like she seems like such a good protag and you would assume she would have way more a plots and b plots compared to how many jt worms his way into (laughs) I mean, right. Admittedly, like the problem with having Emma. Well, no, never mind. That plot, that point doesn't make sense because Emma. I was gonna say like, Emma is a very good person who's gonna do the right thing. <laughs> JT's a fuck up, and fuck ups make drama. <laughs> but, but like Emma has screwed yeah, up too that, that, a lot. That's why I was I stopped myself because yeah. I was like, nope, Emma fucks up. <laughs> Yeah. Like, the thing is, like, if JT had more muscle mass, JT would be the kind of kid who made fun of me in high school. Who made fun of all the weird... He... Mm -hmm. Never mind. I'm not even going to say he would be. He is. Because he makes fun. Like, I think all three of us have a little bit of Liberty Van Zandt in us. Yeah. And that's, like, an awesome... Oh, yeah. That's an awesome quality to have. But, like, JT makes fun of Liberty Van Zandt. And we are all, like... No, because you're also partly making fun of me. (laughs) Yeah, like, he just finds something, if he can assert his dominance, which we've seen him do in a couple plots, if he finds a way to do it, he is going to do it, and he is going to shove you down, like... He's he's a bully, like, a bit, like, he definitely can't take it when it comes back at him. (laughs) 
So, going, yeah. yeah, and going back to this, like, his incap- like his insecurities, they run rampant in this B-plot. So we are introduced to home ec. Um, hooray, there's another teacher in another class at Degrassi. Miraculous. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um... The whole entire thing... Still shitty. Yeah, well, <laughs> let's, we'll get to that. Um, so basically, they're at home act. JT and Liberty are in the same class, and JT is kind of finishing off the touches on a very nice pillow. It looks very well done. Um, he knows what he's doing. Um, as somebody with sewing experience, I was like, oh, not bad, not bad. And then Liberty is showing off her, her attempts, and Liberty, for all of the things that she is good at, Sewing is not one of them. <laughs> She's like, I can tell you the chemical makeup of what's in that pillow, but I cannot make that pillow. <laughs> My heart broke looking at that that poor little piece of stuff. I Something. know. Oh, Liberty, hon. I was just imagining the, like, she's, like, trying to feed the fabric in and just, like, she doesn't have the foot down and everything just going all zigzagged and... It was so sad looking. That poor pillow. Yeah, it was just, it was tortured. Like, that fabric was tortured. (laughs) But, like, so... And, of course, like, as they're kind of sharing their skills, we get their insecurities. Like, JT is really good at sewing, but he's insecure about it. Meanwhile, Liberty is horrible at sewing, and she's insecure about it. Yeah. And the thing is, is that once... God... I, like, remember when I liked Sean? I don't remember anymore, because... This this came completely out of left field for me. But here's the thing. I don't think it really came out... So let's explain what happens. Sean catches whiff that JT is good at sewing, so he decides that it's okay to call JT gay-t. Which... (laughs) Keep in mind, back in Drive, which was that dreadful episode that Frank and I suffered with Gwyn during... um, Keep in mind, he makes a homophobic comment during that, too, where Craig is talking about how much he loves all, all of his friends, and then Sean makes a taunt about, like, oh, what are you going to do, kiss us? Forgot about that. Yeah, like, I think they're really gunning for Sean to be this homophobic jerk, which sucks because while, obviously, like, you change as a person a lot in middle school into high school it still feels very needless for him to be the one to say it. It's it's just like... Because I... So, uh, Jez, just for, like, reference, I watched the um, extras on the DVDs, and one of them is, like, these... Uh, like, instead of having the characters actually, like, run lines from the show, they instead did these talking head kind of interview things as their characters. And Sean says this one about, like, I found, I was really angry at my brother. I walked out of the house, and I found a little bird in the rain, and I picked it up, and it was just so small, and, like, it needed me, and I wasn't angry anymore. And I'm just like, so that's where they started with Sean, and now they're moving him towards just this. And then he's this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, because, like, Sean was wonderful during the first season. Then the last two episodes, they're just like, nope, Sean, like, pushes Emma, and he makes out of Ashley, which, you know, we are very dubious on the consent there, because Ashley had just taken ecstasy. And it's just like, why? Like, we, like, 
you're I would like I I would expect this from like it's like but Toby who hangs out with JT I feel like being more ready to say this stuff because Toby's in jackass like JT and she's like <laughs> why is Sean like becoming the repository for shit it's almost like the showrunners after looking at season one like someone came back to it was like no 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 wait wait come on hold back you gotta make this character shittier. It's like, wh- why? And because that, I, I can't think of any other reason for that shift as other than like some of the the higher ups coming back. Mm, no, we want some more teen drama. Make some of these characters super homophobic. Like even if they were super cool beforehand, just just make them awful. And it also, it's also just like Sean said that he dated Emma for a bit. But they were definitely having conversations here and there, and Emma never stopped to call him out on that. Right. Like, I think they're just, I think we have to look at season one Sean and season two Sean as two different entities. Because it doesn't read to me at this point that we are working with a character who is regressing, if that makes sense. Like, it doesn't read to me as regressing, it just reads to me as a new iteration of the character. Yeah. Because... A thing about his regression in season one was that a lot of his past sounded like it was about to come to light. It does come to light. People now know that he he had done really horrible things, which resulted in him having, like, you know, having to move and things like that. Like, he beat a kid up so badly, the kid lost his hearing. Yeah. Like heavy stuff and it's a real shame because i think that this could be a really interesting commentary on the bad boy stereotype and the archetype in teen drama about these types of boys but instead it's just they're leaning hard into this homophobic aspect and other like unforgivable type of things as opposed to what makes the bad boy archetype so compelling, which is, like, they do bad things, but you understand where their perspective is, even if you don't always agree with it. hmm And it's a shame, because I think that it, season one, Sean had some really interesting things going on, and, like, Jazz, I don't know if you've, like, heard any... I'm not expecting you to hear any of our podcasts, but, like, season one, we were fawning over Sean literally like every episode we thought he was so interesting and complicated and compelling and sweet um but then since like but since then it's just become a nightmare yeah yeah I can see that because from what I remember of season one yeah I, I remember liking Sean a whole lot and to come into this episode and and see him act the way that he did was just really jarring honestly yeah i agree um and this is even after watching a couple like you know a sizable amount of season two it's like still seeing him like this is disorienting in many ways it it feels like a lot a lot of the time a slap in the face for all of like what i did like of season one Mm -hmm. i think this is i mean i think also a lot of it is just it comes from the complete lack of, like, you know, this is pre-internet, like, uh, pre-good internet, I should say, like, so, you know, um, like, just, like, just imagine the forums exploding 
back then if they existed when, like, Sean decided to pop this out and, like, all the Sean fangirls and fanboys were just, like, how could, like, they're, like, ruining Sean for no reason and the writers could see that and be like, okay, okay, we should probably take this to heart. But it's just, like, you know, just still the same uh, bunch of, you know, like, dudes... Because it's written by James Hurst, who I've seen on a bunch of, like, other episodes that I've not been a fan of. Um, and it's just like, well, I think Sean would be homophobic because he's from the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah, it's just very simplistic and, quite frankly, boring. And, yeah, I mean, the thing is about Degrassi fandom, Jazz, I don't know if you did anything with Degrassi fandom. Did not you? really. Yeah, like, with me, like, I, I dabbled a little bit in it. But I was very localized to, like, Marco and Ellie, predictably so. So, like, yeah. like anything I did, it was with them in the context. I was not particularly invested in Sean as a character, but I do remember Sean and Emma Shippers being, like, a huge force. Mm, yeah, I, I think I can remember that, too. Yeah, like, but that's all I really remember. I don't really remember very much of Sean as an individual, but I do remember a lot of people people's view on Sean always tying back to Emma. Um, and in many yeah. ways that resulted in a lot of apologies for Sean's behavior in the name of the ship. So I think what you're saying, Frank, though I think that's more of like a very this era type of fandom reaction, I do think that, or wouldn't be surprised if we looked at a couple message boards, if we somehow revived the end message boards from God knows when. <laughs> um, oh God. We we would be able to see some type of conversation similar to that. Yeah. We've just spent, like, 15 minutes unpacking one line in this damn B-plot. God. This is why our episodes are two hours long. Yeah. But, like, but it is important because Sean saying that hits that very primal fear to JT about, like, his fear about being seen as good at sewing. So as the teacher comes in, so the teacher's going to come in, he looks at the projects, the whole entire idea is he's going to grade the projects, and how you did on the pillow is kind of your, like, starting point, and that's going to dictate your next project. So this is something that carries throughout the episode. So... JT just immediately switches the pillow <laughs> with Liberty. So he takes her sad sack of a pillow and then Liberty has his like really, really well done one. I, I honestly really would have loved this method in Woodshop because it would have <laughs> would have meant that like, Frank, stay away from the power tools. Your main goal is to put a candlestick into a piece of wood. <laughs> Uh, no, you don't get the hammer and nails. You just get the tape. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the home ec teacher comes in. The home ec teacher's a guy because we, we like to fight assumptions with our faculty. Who's better dressed than, than Snake is? <laughs> to be fair, he's a home ec teacher. He knows. He knows tailoring, maybe. <laughs> I made this all myself. Right. <laughs> My, my teaching salary is so bad. <laughs> but, but, uh, that was too real, Frank. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was, I was wounded. I'm sorry, I'm not, like, okay, just throwing this out there, teachers get to deserve to be paid way more than they do. I agree. I do not disagree. Um, I'm not 
I'm not disparaging teachers, I'm disparaging the society that doesn't think teachers deserve more money than they do. Nah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the teacher looks at the projects, he he is entirely horrified by, by what is now passing as JT's pillow project, um, and then proceeds to look at Liberty's, and, which is, well, which is now Liberty's project, um, and just starts singing the praises of her skills because this is such a fantastic looking pillow. It, I honestly, if I was the teacher, I was like the JT quote unquote's pillow, and I'm like, yeah, about what I expected from you. Moving on. Well, like here, also here's the thing: as putting my teacher goggles on for a second, what the fuck was this teacher doing for the past like forty five minutes? Yeah, right. Like that was not any sort of decent teaching mechanisms. Like, what do you mean you're just going to look at these? kids' projects, and then grade them on the spot in front of their peers, and then tear them down. Like, what do you mean? What are you doing? We've seen that before. We have seen that before. Teachers being, like, handing out tests and be like, you could have done better. (laughs) I will say this. We have had a Canadian follower actually tweet us about this and said that it it's not uncommon even to this day for a lot of Canadian educators to do that, which you shouldn't do. Um, to be clear, yeah, like, apparently, like, that type of grading system is, like, still fairly alive and well in Canadian classrooms. Oh, no. Yeah, right? But, yeah, the, um, but the next time we see Liberty and JT, um, Liberty is freaking out because part of this, this whole entire thing was your next project is then dictated by your first project, which... Let's give the teacher credit. That's not a horrible idea, especially yeah. with a project-based yeah. class. Like, that's sound. But because Liberty was passing JT's project as her own, she is now faced with an assignment of creating a skirt. Um, and then JT just, you know, just gets to do whatever. Um, because Liberty reveals that her actual pillow, so JT's project, was a D. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, though I did love this part of the episode where Liberty blackmails JT into (laughs) making the skirt, where she's like, I'll tell everyone. Well, the thing is, is, like, she tells, she says she'll tell the guys he's the next Martha Stewart, which I understand the place that, like, the thing is, like, with the boys, I'm like, I don't care. You're all, like, scummy. But, like, with Liberty, I'm very defensive, and I'm like, honey, I understand why society has told you that this is an okay thing to tell someone. However, (laughs) I want to sit you down. That that one honestly, like, kind of caught me off guard. Like, I I felt icky at that part. I was like, oh, Liberty, what are you doing? Please don't. Please stop. I wouldn't mind being the next Martha Stewart. It means I get to hang out with Snoop Dogg. Yeah, like... Yeah, now. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, back then, although back then, was she imprisoned yet? <laughs> That's what I was just thinking. I don't know. Looking it up. Did she do her jail time yet? I Maybe don't the know. the next Martha Stewart was a threat. Like, you're going to go to jail, JT, if you don't do my project. Yeah, you're going to participate in insider trading, and then you're going to go to jail. <laughs> <There's> the <laughs> you know she learned how to make a shiv in there. Like, a really nice shiv. Maybe she taught everybody else, though. Yeah, you I know. I don't think Martha went in there unprepared. 
they were like she just gets it she just gets in and she like spits out the like um the box cutter that she hid in her cheek oh my god <laughs> And, and she, she's just like, um, she's like, okay, who's the biggest, toughest person inside? God. Uh, she went on trial in January 2004. Okay, so like, but wait, so if she went on trial in 2004, then it's very possible that that, like, the fact that she had committed, it was insider trading, right? I'm not making that up. That was yeah. like her, her, yeah. what happened? It's very possible that, like, this was known by the time this episode had been written. Okay, yeah, she was in jail from, in July for five months. Yeah, I remember that. Um, alright, you guys keep talking, I'll keep looking into this. But yeah, like, I, I think, I think this very well could have been something that was in the public consciousness by the time it, Liberty said it on Degrassi, which tickles me. Oh no, uh, air date, December 1st, 2002. Ah, darn! Oh, that would have been if funny. Only. I know, right? But, um, so, so that's her, like, threat, which, once again, I was like, Liberty, I raised you better than this. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter, no. That's, I, I don't know what happened. It's just, like, well, the thing is, like, she's so real to me that, like, I feel like it's just a ma- it was just a matter of time before she became my child, and now she says things <laughs> I don't want her to, and I worry that I can no longer, like, middle school is just so rough for her. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, so she blackmails JT into helping her. They then are in the sewing room unattended, working on the skirt. That was the kicker for me. It's like, how, one, how did they get into this room? Isn't this room locked? I would think that this room would be locked because sewing machines aren't necessarily cheap, like, Mm-hmm. Someone could steal that. So I would assume that the room would have been locked to prevent that, but somehow these two literal babies just managed to sneak into it. And so, was this after hours? Was this during school hours? Like, yeah, like even if you were like, oh, like let's have a drop in time in the sewing room, like y- you would still need a teacher there, I feel like, under most circumstances. Like, that just yeah. seems like. It seems like a liability, yes, on the equipment level, like what you said, Jazz, but also, like, on a safety level. Like, what if one of the needles just, like, gets destroyed and, like... Exactly. Principal Radish, I sewed myself to my jeans. (laughs) Come on, Spinner. This is, like, the third time this has happened. But, like, that that could happen! But, but yeah, so, like, JT is like, okay, I'll work on your skirt. Which, once again, what are they doing during class if they're doing this whole entire thing also? Like, if JT says, like, fine, I'll work on your skirt, like, how are they passing that off in class? Are they literally just, like, repeatedly making, like, like, patterns and just redoing the pattern in class? And they're like, oh, hold up, hold up, it's not perfect yet. Oh, don't worry, sir, I, I'm, I'm working, don't worry, you'll, you'll get something. Yeah, like... Like, I kind of thought this was supposed to be, like, a, you know, not, like, a semester project, but, like, maybe a quarter of a semester project, like, a week or so, because they just show up the next class with it made, and it's like, I guess they did have to work outside of class to have this done. Yeah. Which is absolutely wild, because, like, what if you just don't have the the tools to sew outside of class? Like, what are you going to do? Okay, they didn't... Oh. They did make the point in that episode where Emma fought the power against the soda companies 
um, that, like, sometimes they have to leave rooms open for kids who don't have computers at home, like Sean. Um, yeah, but there's a, but, like, that was within the context of, like, computer lab and things like that, and Snake seems to be a media specialist as well. Like, we see that he he's in charge of, like, who is taking out CD-ROMs and things like that. Like, it seems that he has some sort of of responsibility to provide that space and et cetera, et cetera. Like, this just seems like the Wild West of <laughs> school equipment. But JT's working on Liberty's skirt, um, and... Liberty is, like, chatting with him, and as they're chatting, JT reveals, like, the reason why he's really good at sewing, which is that his mom's a seamstress, um, and, and Liberty is just like, you know, why would a guy be so ashamed of this? And JT is just like, we just are. Just boys being boys. Yeah, but, like, that's, like, the mantra of the Degrassi writers, especially with anything JT and Toby related. It feels like they run on the fumes of boys will be boys, and that's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. It's, like, they'll, 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 like, we'll go everywhere except challenging, like, garbage viewpoints of men. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just really odd because it's like like just i'm gonna put it on a veteran jazz like what are some of the topics that you remember degrassi covering like when you think of degrassi and it's like a, that stuff god well i mean the first thing that jumped to mind was uh marco coming to terms with the sexuality mm -hmm. and then the school shooting um like i felt like Degrassi was really, I, I hesitate to say good, but Degrassi really seemed to like tackling really big problems that were sort of controversial at the time and like sort of subverting um, like societal norms and societal opinions of those. And so sort of like they, they, they didn't really do much of that, I think, with JT's storyline, especially in this one. Like I know we haven't got to the end yet, but like, nothing really happened with it, is the thing. And so I felt like, you know, in comparison to some of those, my favorite or most remembered Degrassi subplots, like, it wasn't really, it doesn't really do much for me, honestly. Yeah, I agree. And, like, that's exactly how I feel as a veteran, where, like, Frank has gotten to, um, by season two, Frank has gotten to two pairs of episodes that I always think about, which is When Doves Cry, which is Craig's introduction, where they introduce Craig Craig being abused by his father. Um, and then Shout, which is Paige being sexually assaulted, and then her having to deal with that. Right. And I would argue those two sets of episodes are very strong. Like, super Definitely. memorable. And, like, not just, like, oh, they handled a racy topic, but the characterization in it, in particular, like, is so good. Like, it it's why, like, I am so, like, sympathetic toward Craig, even though he's a bonehead sometimes. And it's, like, <laughs> like why Paige is so memorable to me. Because, like, those two episodes in particular are fantastic examples of not just handling a topic well, but also 
characterization well. And, like, I think that's what's frustrating to me, where I don't think every single episode needs to be about sexual assault. And it doesn't always need to be about abuse. But I feel that I would like to see the writers write with a similar weight in terms of how they do characterization. Well, it's also... I'm sorry to interrupt. Like, it's also the characters in those episodes have arcs during... During those, you know, two-parters, like, the person pages at the beginning of, beginning and end, like, by the end of the two-parter, like, Paige has come to recognize, yes, I need help, yes, I need to talk to people about this. Craig begins an abusive relationship, and then also comes to terms of just, like, I need to get out of this, or else, like, shit's gonna go wrong. Um, even in Shout, like, the, one of the B-plots is JT... He actually had an arc where, like, or him and Toby had an arc mm-hmm. where he changed by the end. And, and I think this is the most frustrating part of JT episodes to me, is that there is never an arc. JT is exactly the same person at the beginning that he is at the end. And the person he is is frustrating. Yeah. I think that's exactly it. It's like... Oh, like, I understand, once again, not everything has to be super groundbreaking stuff, but there's something to be said about we write this character and, you know, this character gets to a new spot at the end of it, no matter what. But, like, I feel like not only am I, like, bored by JT as a character, but, like, if I, I keep watching plot after plot after plot and he doesn't learn his lesson, that's just not interesting. It's just not fun to watch as a viewer because I don't get anything out of it, not just on the level that JT pisses me off sometimes, but also, like, it's just not compelling TV. Exactly. Like, if you're going to dedicate an entire subplot of an episode, especially given the other weight of the the topics tackled in this particular episode, like, like, like you said, it doesn't necessarily need that the same weight, but there needs to be some sort of development. It needs to be going somewhere, and that just doesn't happen in the subplot. Yeah, it's like every one of JT episodes, like, they're just, they don't even, I feel like, like, they, they... It's like they try to get up the hill, but then they go backwards, and then they just go back to the station. Like, nothing happens. It's, like, it's literally, like, Sisyphean. Sisyphean. Guy with the boulder. (laughs) Yes, it's true. It is definitely Guy with the boulder. (laughs) So, the plot keeps moving. I'm trying to remember exactly where the next, because, like, JT and Toby have a vague interaction, but I think the first interaction connects more... Well, there's they have, like, a transition point where JT and Toby are talking about the A-plot very quickly, and it transitions to, um, like... Because they're talking about the International Day, which we'll get into, um, and Toby says, like, you... Like, because in response to a girl who is from Iraq talking about about the country and leading to her project being graffitied, Toby asks, like, you know, what, what, like, what was she supposed to do? Like, was she supposed to hide her culture? Um, which leads to Liberty saying, like, oh, JT, like, <laughs> speaking of people hiding themselves, which is, like, terrifying. But, um, she basically is like, hey, like, you can sew and you should be proud of it, which... I don't disagree with. I think there's something to be said. Because it's like, she 
is just racked with guilt with the fact that she has to pass this stuff as her own. She gets the skirt completed by JT and she loves it. And it, for something that quote unquote is hand sewn, um, it like homemade, it, it looks really nice and it's really cute. And if you, they have like a passing conversation during like a scene change in which she's actually talking about like the specifications that she wants on the skirt. So she talks about how she wants certain fabric choices and things like that, mm-hmm. um, which is like the plaid pockets and stuff like that. Like she says that she wants it. So JT actually like utilizes that, which is actually very nice. Like it's clear that from, like, a commissioning perspective, like, he's very good at, like, listening to what his client wants and then doing it. You know, I, th- I think I now realize the reason why this took place at the school is because we already had paid for that set, and we would have to get a new JT home set. Right. That's <laughs> not covered in garbage. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, we've only seen... To- I don't think we've ever seen JT's house. No, no, we just have the proof that it's a mess because apparently his mom tried to clean it, hence the missing Pringle can. Why? I can't believe that was a plot. Yeah. I say that sometimes and I'm like, Gee. Well, it would be like his mom's sewing room or something. Yeah, 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 it's true. Um, But yeah, so... So they're like going to show off the thing. Um, Liberty gives her project to JT, which is another like... It's another bad pillow, right? Like, she had to do another pillow? Yeah. Oh, my it God. It at least had a corner this time. That's true. I will give her but that. Last time, it was just, like, an amorphous cloud with stuffing poking out of it. This yeah. Time she got a corner. Yeah, like, she's getting better. It's a very slow process. But, hey, sewing, for some people, it takes a while. Um, so, the teacher is looking at it, um... And, you know, he's looking at the pillow. I think he says something like, you may still be able to pass this class to JT or something like that. Something you definitely want to tell in front of 30 kids, like, for sure. Yeah. And then, like, he's like, oh, Liberty, like, looking at the skirt. He's like, you're a sewing genius. And, like, as soon as he says that, Liberty's like, oh, yeah, just so you know, JT did it, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, of course, like, Toby and Sean are, like, shitheads about it. Um, which doesn't surprise me in the least. Uh, but then, but then, um, oh, this, this terrible silver lining. Um, at the end, like people are making fun of him, and then Emma, Manny, and this is like unfortunately the only times we get to see Emma and Manny. Um, was there a third girl? I feel like there was. There were like four of them, but I think. Emma and Manny were the only two that you were supposed to care about. Um, yeah, I think so. He's like, yeah, yeah, get your licks in. They're like, we all want like skirts like Liberties, and he's just like, oh, cool, uh, thirty bucks or so for each, you know. And then um, he's like, and I'm gonna have to measure you. And then I vomited inside. Oh my god! Because he immediately just goes down on his knees in front of Manny, right? <sighs> So, Degrassi writers, come come close, real close, real quick. You are writing about 13 and 14 year olds. This is gross. It's just like, who is that for as an audience? Like, that's not, it's not enjoyable to, 
Like, it's not even, like, I know, I get it. Like, sometimes shows that are for children or movies that are for children, like, like to put in an adult joke to, like, for the parents or something like that. But, like, there's a difference between, like, them making, like, an innuendo that, like, a kid may not fully realize until they're older or like you know like like the the tired and true like rugrats russian roulette joke that like where they ask the grandfather like oh how was russian roulette and the grandfather goes you don't know how russian roulette works <laughs> like like that's funny to me i don't know what this is about my humor but like that's funny enough um but like there's a difference between like that which is a little bit of a gallows humor but still kind of funny and like a kid replicating going down on somebody. Yeah, it, it was just completely unnecessary, and I, like you said, I don't know if that was for. Maybe the writers thought they were being cute about it, but I just, it was gross and made me uncomfortable watching it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I feel the same. It's just, like, I feel like they're just like, this is for all our fans of John Hughes movies. Ugh. Leave it. Leave it in the past. Well, like, Degrassi loves those movies, though. Like, they just love them so much. Like, straight up, like, he did Breakfast Club, right? Yeah. Like, there is a Breakfast Club reference episode. I don't know if, Jazz, you remember that one. I do remember that one. Wow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that one has some moments... And I won't spoil them for Frank. That one has some moments that I find, actually, I quite like that episode. Well, who knows how I'll feel about the episode when I watch it for this podcast. But, like, as a kid, I really liked the episode. But, like, you can tell that this group is obsessed with that type of movie. And, like, I understand to a certain extent that, like, you know, that's just how Degrassi is, seeing as though when it was written. But, like, it's still just... Keep it. I don't want it. Right. It doesn't help that Breakfast Club was definitely meant for a slightly older audience that Degrassi was, especially in this era of Degrassi, so... Yeah. oof a doof <laughs> That's all I got. Um, I don't have any other thoughts about the A-plot. I mean, the B-plot. I have a lot of thoughts about the A-plot. I don't know if any of y'all do. I'm ready to... Just end yeah, it. Yeah, let's, let's go for it. Okay. And now on to our A-plot. Um, so our A-plot is where the bulk of our content warning is coming from, specifically the Islamophobia. It is unrelenting in this episode in many different forms, both internalized and just externalized, I guess? I don't know how... I realize I said internalized, and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And I'm like, I don't... I don't know what the actual... <laughs> opposite of it. I think that's just Islamophobia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it's International Day at Degrassi, which I must ask you two, like, did you ever do no. an inter... No, you never did an <laughs> yeah. International Day? Nope. Okay. I never had such a thing. I did. Well, like, okay, I had different offshoots of it, I realized, because I was reflecting on it. So, like, number one, there was the, um... There was the, um, like, state's presentations, which really wasn't your, like, your home state, but it was, like, every kid signed up for a state, and then, like, they did a presentation about the state, and they, like, did 
like they made something that was like featured ingredients or like a meal that was classic for the state, which like, huh. yikes, Aruni! I did Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> yikes, Aruni! And I definitely did something that was like pineapple upside down cake. Double yikes! <laughs> like oh, no. I was in fourth grade and. I did not understand, nor did anyone help me understand, the very, very, very important history and historical context of Hawaii and its statehood and the issues with that. Um, so, whoopsie doopsie on my part, but also screw you, every parent and teacher that I was working with that year that did not sit me down and go, maybe you should do things a little differently. <laughs> but like other than that the only form of international day i've ever done both as an educator but also as a student was kind of like those cultural day food festivals so like you would like buy a ticket and be able to like go through like a buffet basically of like every kid brought like food from like the their like culture type stuff we we have a kind of like international day party at my job we're, and I work with a very diverse crew, so, like, there's some awesome food coming into the office. Nice. <laughs> I just remember we did do something at my high school. It wasn't necessarily like, hey, let's sort of take an actual school day to do this. It was, like, a festival-type thing that would happen after hours in our, like, little, I think it was in the cafeteria. And so, like, people would sign up to present their cultures, but it wasn't, like, a mandatory thing or anything. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like in every school that I have worked at or, like, went to, um, the group that would host it was usually, like, the honors or, like, some sort of, like, honors-adjacent society because, um, they would be the ones who would kind of, um present the like they I think a lot of the time it was like them putting it toward like some sort of like service hours or something like that yeah so that's my experience with international day international day at Degrassi is much more large scale like yeah there's this food component that I think a lot of people associate international or diversity days with um but there's also this presentation which um is a big deal throughout the episode um so we open up the episode and um, our Goyles are talking about it, which are Hazel, um, Paige, and Terry. Well, Hazel and Terry yeah. are talking about it. Um, right. And Terry's talking about bringing haggis because she's Scottish. <laughs> um, and like Hazel's like, that sounds gross. Sheep innards are gross. And then um, Paige comes up and I... This is what gave me high hopes for the for the episode, where she hands um, Paige a or Paige hands Terry a ticket as the fashion police. I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and then it all goes so terribly wrong when Hazel gives one to uh, her name was Feruza. 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 Yeah. Um. Uh, gives it to Theresa for terrorist chic. 
Yeah, so she, she's she sees like a group of girls. Um, I don't remember if they're all wearing hijab or if they all are just wearing head coverings of different sorts. I don't recall off the top of my head. Um, but like Hazel just like scopes them out because like Paige is like, oh, haha, Terry, you're wearing jeans that are out of season, and then Hazel's like, oh, hey, you're a terrorist. Like the escalation is jarring, stunning, like. I felt a literal physical punch when that happened. Yeah, it was, like, I I knew that, and I remembered that Hazel's internalized issues with this were going to be a large component of this episode, but there was something about, like, going right out of the gate in that way that was just very upsetting for me. Yeah. And, like, also, Farisa, like... Okay, I really wish, and, like, I know that she's just a plot device for the sake of this episode, but, like, I would love her to have actually, like, be a character, because, like, she just, like, takes the ticket, like, she accepts the ticket from Hazel, crinkles it up, and just drops it. Like, doesn't even have the, the, (laughs) doesn't even put the energy into tossing it. Like, literally just drops it in front of her, and she's just like, okay, like, (laughs) fuck off. Like, I've... I've been through worse, and I've seen worse than you, Hazel. <laughs> yeah, like, she just, like, she just sizes her up, determines that it's not worth, not, like, she does not <laughs> worth her time, and just drops it on the ground. But she still has to, like, perform a power move. Yeah, no, I, right. I was, I, I really like her. Once again, like, I wish she wasn't just this, like, plot device for this episode, because I think that she's a type of character that would, would be really fun to write as a writer but like and also would create representation that Degrassi sorely needs yeah exactly exactly like the fact that she was just a one-off like I had to look her up because I didn't remember her and I was like oh well what other episodes is just this one just this one so she could be called a terrorist and deal with that and that's about it yeah and it's like I understand that was probably a very tough sell during that the year that this episode came out, like, to have a character like that. But also, at the same time, there's a part of me that's like, you're... De- and this, I think, is getting to my gripes a lot of the time. I think a lot of my issues with Degrassi boil down to, it's an established piece of media. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not talking about this new second season of a teen drama that is still fearful of getting canceled we're talking about literally an institution of teen drama by the time the second season of the next generation comes out so it it also is very like what do you mean you didn't like it just feels like you didn't try hard enough i mean i wasn't in on those meetings i don't know what it was like with the with the producers and whatever but there is a part of me that's kind of like you can do this guys like it it, we aren't talking about, like, any other teen drama that's, like, struggling to to stay on the air. Like, you're Degrassi. Like, you, you probably could have pulled this off. It's not like Adventure Time, where they're just like, okay, we got to keep the lesbians until the very last episode. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly, because we don't want to get canceled. Yeah, like, it's not that, like... Ugh. Anyway, so that happens, and, like, Hazel returns back toward... Paige and Terry, and Paige just goes, Hayes, when I'm offended, you know you've gone too far. Good on you, Paige. Yeah. And then, and then Hazel just goes, well, dressed like that, what do you expect? I have, I have so many feelings about 
everything about this, but especially considering, like, when are we going to talk about the article? Um, I mean, we can, I I had my notes for afterwards, but if you want to pull out something from that, like, don't hesitate. I... I can I can pull it I can pull it all together afterwards. Okay, Frank, are you in favor of that? Yeah, well, it's just like part like considering what we saw not even three episodes ago. You're about to bring up the point that I wanted to bring up. Please, Frank, we've <laughs> well, become a hive mind, <laughs> or I've just gotten smarter. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, like I was just like half. Hoping, half expecting Paige to be like, oh, dressed like that, she was asking for it? Is that what you were about to say, Hazel? <laughs> well, like, not only that, like, okay, fine, like, I I get it, like, I'm not going to... Was that not what you were going to say? Similar, but there is a part of me, okay, Paige, Paige definitely could have had that moment to do that. I understand why somebody who recently was sexually assaulted doesn't necessarily want to become the hero in that sense. But also, like... Hazel was the one who was coming to her defense that she didn't ask for it. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. she was validating her in the sense that, like, you know, if you you didn't want it, you didn't want it, that's rape. Like, she was very, very, very upfront. Like, it doesn't matter what you did leading up to that point, you didn't want it. So, you know, this is what happened, and this is what we're going to call it, because that's what it is. And, like, the fact that she will quickly change her tune, I understand why. I understand Hazel's perspective entirely. However, it's still very upsetting because just like a couple weeks back, Frank, like you and I watched Shout and we were very impressed with how Hazel was handling the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And once again, like these are two, this is a very emotional thing for Hazel. There is a huge personalized, internalized issue with this whole entire situation. Yeah. But it still hurt as a viewer. Like, this whole thing, like, it was literally, like, a page of notes, and a lot of it was me trying to unpack all of it. Yeah. Because I was so upset watching this happen. Like, it just... Like, in comparison to, to hearing you guys talk about the past episodes, and, like, we were talking about, um... Sean earlier, like, season one versus season two. Like, it just feels like the writer's don't know how to write their characters like it's like they just don't know it it's like they didn't plan out things properly and like maybe things that should have happened in season one happened in two like if they were trying to do a a solid progression of character and build up these characters then having them kind of flip-flop and be really good about some things but really awful about others when it doesn't work for them it's it just seems like really bad writing. Like, the writers don't know how to write characters. I don't think they really... Well, I think that they have the capacity to maybe write good characters, but from my understanding, and we'll talk more about the blog post soon, like, after this, but it sounds like the producers in particular and the writers were incredibly fickle with these kids, where not just Hazel's actress, which we'll get to, like, her experience, but I think... But I know that this is something that when I read post interview like you know interviews after actors appeared on Degrassi a lot of them spoke to the bias of the um of the writers and producers themselves where you had characters who would just disappear 
And the reason why was because the writers would then just say, well, we didn't know what to do with you, or we didn't really feel a connection to you. Like, they're incredibly fickle human beings in many ways. And, like, if the chemistry between the writers and the idea of the character was good, and it fit their agenda, then the character would get a lot of plot. I.e., I think this entirely explains why JT worked the way that he did. But it also showed an inability to actually do right by some of these characters, especially the more marginalized characters, especially the characters who are not white. Yeah. Like, who aren't white men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. Because, um, like... Yeah, like, we don't know anything about uh, Farisa. Like, what, what is she like? What is she not like? Well, what does she not like, Hazel? Um, <laughs> like... It just, it's, because we keep going through, like, the writers, and it's the same white dudes, and it's just like, yeah, of course this show is, like, the way it is because of this. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't seen yeah. Susan Nielsen's name in a long time. I don't even know if she really writes outside of the first season, to be honest. Well. Rip. <laughs> <laughs> there goes the, uh, well, Good that I don't have to blame her for any of this, but also that means my time's gonna get a lot worse. Right, but like, I think there is something to be said here where, I, like, and I think this is a really real issue, and I feel like Degrassi in many ways spotlighting this major issue that we're having in, in media in general right now, especially in terms of representation, where you could be the most well-meaning person from outside of a community. You can Google, you can research, you can talk to people, but at the end of the day, the stories, like, there are stories and plots that are going to be told better by people within a community than somebody who was a very good outside uh, observer outside of it. Um, just, just so I have a quick point of reference, um, how old are you, Donnie? Or, like, how old were you when... I'm 27. Okay, so you're five years younger than me. Yeah. Um, Jazz? I'm 25. Okay, so you're seven years younger than me. So you guys were still in elementary school when 9-11 happened, right? Yeah. I was in yeah. sixth grade, I guess? I was in... I was in... I was a ninth grader when it happened, so I have very clear oh, memories geez, of it. Oh, jeez, that's, that's an age to go through that. So, because I, you know, I am like most people of my generation, or our generation, I should say, where I can remember where I was when I found out about it. Where I was was in the hallway of my high school. And I saw was like, a plane just hit one of the, one of the tower, World Trade Center towers, and I was like, that's not, that's not true. And then, like, like, they announced, like, everybody get to your classrooms. Oh, shoot. So they just went to shelter-in-place type stuff? Well, no, they started showing us on it. They oh, started God, showing us yeah. Because where I'm from, um, this is a small town. I don't really want to give away the full name. Mm -hmm. um, it's across the... It's across... Well, you can see New York City from my hometown. So you could see the smoke coming from mm -hmm. New York City. And you could also, like, for weeks on end, you could still smell it in the air. Yeah. Like... But the thing was, I didn't really, like, I was, I went to a very white high school, so I didn't really know about anything, really. <laughs> like, I knew about 
what I learned in history, but that wasn't really that expansive. Like, so, and, like, it wasn't taught after that. So, Still not really. Yeah. So, yeah, it, um, so I remember, like, uh, George Bush constantly saying, this is a religion of evil, this is a religion of evil, and I remember sitting back and thinking, like, you're an asshole, so I don't believe you, and I'm gonna go do research on my own, <laughs> and that was the only way I was able to educate myself about what was going on, and it's just like, so seeing these kids act this way is like, yeah, that kind of makes sense to me, that a lot of them are, have misinformation, because it's not taught, it's not like, you don't get this information, Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like we, in in the education system, like, so, so for context, for me, once again, well, I guess it doesn't really matter if people know where I live, where I came from, because I'm never coming back. But, like, <laughs> I'm from a town that's 20 minutes away from New York City. So, um, in Jersey. Um, so, I, my experience with 9-11 was very, was very, like, it was a very emotional and very tense time. Um, and a lot of it was, like, similar to Frank's in the sense that, like, you could see the smoke, and you could smell the smoke, and, like, you know, you could, like, we had people who, um, unfortunately died that day, and, like, things like that, like, people's aunts and uncles and parents and stuff like that, like, that was a real reality where I came from, um, but because of that, I also lived in the bubble that was very, we shall overcome, where if you walked down any street in my town, all you saw were American flags mm. everywhere. Um, and there was a lot of, like, supporting our troops and that type of stuff. And because of that and because educators did not want to touch this topic, what, regardless of where they stood on it, they just didn't want to touch it, it really took many, many, many years for me to fully be able to understand and research the consequences of this point in history and how it hurt people in a way that just I I was not allowed to be subjected to because I was young and I came from a very, very conservative background, which I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, but my parents bought into the American spirit and everything. And it's... This topic is very... Yeah, like, there's a lot of moments in this that hit very close mm -hmm. because I remember kids saying it, but also at the same time, um, God, it's just, like, it, there are some, some kids in here, the way that they behave, I think, is very consistent with who they are, but there were little moments, and maybe this is just also, like, the internalization that Hazel is going through that just hurts so much that just was devastating watching this. Mm. But I do, I do have to give my dad props because when he came home that day, um, he I was like, I don't know what to like. I was kind of at a loss as what to do, mm -hmm. and my dad just looked, just sat me down. He's like, "Look, what what do I always say?" And I was just like, "There doesn't matter what some where somebody comes from. Like, it doesn't matter if they're black, white, gay, or straight. There's good people and there's bad people, and it's just like got to keep looking for the good people." And that was, like, what got me through. And that's how I didn't turn into one of these kids, is my dad being like, there's good and bad people. doesn't matter. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
I mean, I feel like we were going to talk about 9-11 at some point during this. Well, we have to, yeah. honestly. To just end it on a um, more lighthearted note, when I went to my first year of college, I was commuting to Rutgers, Newark, and I was always hungry because I would have a lot, I did not know how to schedule classes, so I would have <laughs> long stretches of nothing. In, in between classes, so I'd be, nice. there, be there till, like, four after oh, my first no. class at, like, seven. Um, and Rutgers Newark is, like, no campus. It is in Newark. It's just, it's a typical urban, like, campus where it's like, oh, there's maybe a dorm building, and there's a classroom building, I guess. <laughs> so, so I would, I as I said, I had learned all about, or I learned, you know, a fair amount of, uh, about Islam, just so I could be able to educate myself and have a more full opinion, full opinion. And there was like the local Muslim association in Newark was doing this thing where they're like, answer one of our questions and you get a piece of candy. And oh my God. I was just like, oh man, this is dope. And like, by about question seven, they're like, okay, you need to go. <laughs> I was like, what? And they're like, you, like, we can't, we, meant to like give like maybe one or two pieces of candy out. you've had seven I'm like I'm so hungry <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so speaking of of uh the woes of white boys um spinner <laughs> that wasn't a woe <laughs> well you are hungry it's work with me here um <laughs> it's one of the few woes <laughs> Spinner Spinner bemoans um, an age-old conflict of white people, which is him going, but what if you don't have a culture? I'm sorry to interject, but I've never met a white person that has said that. Oh, me? They always break down their, their genetics for me. It's like, um, I'm 25% German. I'm... <laughs> 13% South African. It's like, cool, I don't know what I am, so thanks, fam. It's, it's, I, I mean, yes, I've met a lot of people like that, especially in the area that I, I come from an area where, like, everybody is just different pieces mm -hmm. of European, and, like, would just, like, go into every single detail. <laughs> To a point that, like, we did a really weird activity, and, like, in hindsight, I don't know why the teacher structured it like this, where she would have, like, a bar chart, basically, and, like, when they did the bar chart, like, you would obviously have a bigger bar graph, depending on, like, how many pieces of your ethnicity, like, ethnic makeup was. And and I remember this was the moment that I found out that I'm only Italian because it was like the teacher was reading off the strips of paper and was like, oh, yeah, and Jesse is 3% Irish and 42% Scottish. And, like, it kept going up and up and up. And then they're like, and Donnie, oh, well, look at that. You're only Italian. And I was like, and I'm sitting there going, like, why is my bar so small? <laughs> this is bullshit. Like... Like, Jazz, you have a point, because I can also do that. I know exactly what, like, bunch of European countries gave, <laughs> gave me my, like, you know, my makeup. And I don't know why my parents, like, drilled that into me. And we also found out we're not actually Italian. We're part, like, Mediterranean. Oh. Which you can tell by my beautiful olive skin. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think... 
I think that <laughs> that burns so easily. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there is um, this. I feel like there's two flavors of whiteness, work with me here, where there is that, like, really, really regimented one, but there's also that, like, super assimilated version, which is that very, like, which is what Spinner is trying to bring up, um, which I guess we keep saying American, but, like, Canadian in this case, where it's, like, you are so... <laughs> they, feel like can- they feel like Americans in this episode. I know, right? But, like, you feel... S- <laughs> They do. Um, like, where you're so disconnected from, like, any cultural background other than this assimilated, I guess, Canadian identity, in this case, that, like, you do look at International Day and you're like, well, well, Snake, like, I don't, I don't have anything. How can I do a presentation? I, like, I'm trying, okay, so follow me on this one. Oh, boy. I'm wondering if the reason our parents, like, I'm speaking specifically to Donnie and I. Yeah. Um, I'd assume. Like, like, drilled into, like, this is what you are, so that you can get offended when that very particular country is made fun of. Well, I think there is that, because, like, not to get super into, like, Euro-ethnicity and things like that, but, like, I feel like a lot, because, like... I mean, looking at it from, like, an immigration perspective, my family has only been in the country for, I think, about, like, three-ish generations. So, like, it was a very real thing that, like, there were, back then, must be clear here, like, pre-GI Bill, like, you know, I did have family that was discriminated against and because they couldn't speak English. Um, And because of that, like, that's why, like, I I don't know the language, etc., etc., like, but I feel like it's, like, almost that, like, compensation for the assimilation that the generations, that your generation went through, which is, like, this, like, you gotta have pride in it. But, like, you don't actually have, like, a cultural identity. It's, like, the idea of your cultural identity. Like, this, like, you need to be offended because, like, that's all you got left, almost. It's, like, this really messed up thing, which is why, and I can say this because I am Italian, this is why, like, Italian Americans are, like, the biggest instigators of racism. Yep. I'll call them out. I mean, my the only thing, the only part of my Italian identity is occasionally my dad um, will bust out Italian curses when he gets really angry at something. I mean, classic. Classic. And he taught my mom how to make, or his mom taught my mom how to make good sauce. Good. Good. That's, that's the good stuff. Take that good stuff. But anyway... Anyway, back to Spinner. God, I just feel like every line of this episode is going to wheel us into, like, a different discussion. Honestly. (laughs) So, like, Spinner's like, I don't know how to participate. But Hazel just straight up asks, like, what if she doesn't? Um, And then, okay, Snake's reaction to this confuses me. So he says something about, like, how presenting is 10% of class participation. Does that mean, like, overall, I guess? I don't know. I don't know what that means. But also he's like, oh, Hazel, I expected that you would be into this. Which, like, I think speaks to how Hazel talks a lot, but also makes me feel weird because it makes me feel like Snake's like, well, you're different, so surely you'll want to participate. Yeah, that's how it felt to me. Okay, good. It wasn't just me. I'm, like, sitting there. I'm like, Snake, what the fuck? Like, why are you saying that to a kid who's black? Like, what's wrong with you? 
Like honestly, the darkest kid in the room. You can't. You can't do that, Snake. You can't do that. <laughs> yeah, like at least be like, oh well, you like to gab all the time with Paige. Surely you'd like to gab all the time in, you know, in the cafeteria. But like, no, he just says like, oh, I just thought you would like this type of project. It's like, yo, dude, what? <laughs> right. Right. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. I just get. Snake has been on decline for me personally recently, where he said a lot of, like, weird comments, and, like, that's the top one to me, where it just, like, like, the the fear part of my brain went off, and I was just like, Ugh. Oh, don't worry, um, I think I only ignored that line because of his other, even weirder, worse line later. Oh, yeah, we'll get, we'll get to there. But, um, so, like, Paige talks to Hazel about what's going on, and Paige... Like, you know, Hazel's like, oh, I didn't start. And Paige is, like, really, like, oh, like, let me help. But she really adds this fact that, like, she wants to help and she hopes that this is a way for her to finally see where Hazel lives. So, like, these two friends who we see hang out outside of school, we now have the information that Paige has never actually been to Hazel's house. Yeah. Which, okay, as a, as a viewer, you're like, oh, that's something we're going to unpack later, isn't it? Okay. Tucks it away. Um, but Paige is also, like, worried that they aren't friends. Like, she's worried that, like, which I've actually found Paige was weirdly, like, we'll get into the article. We'll talk about how Hazel a lot of the time is used as, like, this, like, uh, like, many character, like, ha like, we'll talk about the article later, but, like, Hazel is used a lot as a plot device to kind of move things for white characters a lot of the time. Uh Sorry, just to go back a little bit. Has Ashley made her appearance in this episode yet? Um, yeah, she didn't. She call out Hazel for the Islamic Islamophobic. Comment? Yeah, she just like materializes behind a locker. <laughs> she she and then she has like one line later, but other than that, like nothing. I have a lot of thoughts about her one line later. We will get to. She like she's just like sitting against the lockers on the floor. She's like, I'm needed. <laughs> yeah, she just like jumps up. Like just boom. But um yeah, so like um Paige so like we, we will talk about more in the article, but we talk a lot about how Hazel is underutilized and that's like a big thing that we that I remember even, like, as a viewer when I was younger, like, how little content we really got from Hazel. And Hazel, this is, like, her only A-plot, period. Um, and it's a shame because I actually think that there are aspects of Paige's relationship with Hazel that are actually hit very well, where I do believe that Paige genuinely sees Hazel as a friend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't... I think that Paige doesn't always treat her great, but I do think that in the way that they are written, that Paige does see Hazel as a friend, and this is something that is upsetting to her, the fact that Hazel does not seem to feel comfortable bringing her to her house and things like that. Like, she is really concerned that Hazel does not see Paige as close to her as, like, you know, vice versa. Which is interesting, something that I wish the writers really went harder with, because I do think that there is an interesting friendship there. Like, somewhere, if we push through a lot of this, 
and we, and you know, Hazel actually got a chance to stand on her own, I think we would have had a really interesting friendship between the two of them. They did a whole episode about this on Hey Arnold. Yeah. And it was one, yeah. of, the, one of the best. Yeah. Why didn't we do a Hey Arnold podcast? Oh, fuck. Don't. You could save that for later. That's true. We'll, 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 uh, we'll shelve that for now. Don't. Oh, my God. That show was so good. There's less episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I would t- totally be willing to guess that. <laughs> please, please. Um, My man, fuzzy slippers. I would, I would love all of this. We gotta stop because then we're gonna just st- start plotting a new podcast. Um, but so the next time we see this plot kick in, um, okay. So Spinner is like the transition point, and this quote, for whatever reason, I thought was the funniest thing as a kid, which was him going, last night I asked my mom what my culture was. She pointed to the globe and said, I'm from Earth. (laughs) (laughs) And the page just goes, good to know, I had my doubts. (laughs) And then, like, Spinner's resulting, like, reaction to that was... Really funny for some reason. For it was me. really like, I funny. He makes like a noise or a gesture, and I just started dying laughing. <laughs> yeah, it was just like he was. Just, it was like this very sincere, like very kid moment. He's like, oh, like he's just like one of those, like, oh, you're so funny, and like for whatever reason, it felt so real and sincere. And like as a kid, I remember thinking that whole entire exchange was like peak comedy. I still think it's a little bit of peak comedy. It, it's really good. Yeah, like which. Which is sad, because I feel like so much of the time these damn episodes lean on really awful humor, but, like, when they're just doing that type of stuff, I think it's so funny, and it's still funny, like, ten years later. Yeah. Disappointment. More than ten years later. Um, but, um, so... They're... So, like, they're still talking. Paige is, like, checking in with Hazel about, um about, like, International Day, and is like, you know, why don't you like it? And Hazel says, like, we're people, we don't need labels. Um, and then, like, there's a really awkward exchange, and I can't tell how much of it is Paige making assumptions or Paige being Hazel saying things or not saying things and then letting Paige carry on with the idea because Paige reveals that, like, she thought that Hazel was Jamaican, and Hazel's like, yeah, sure, I'm Jamaican. Yeah, that sounds right. <sighs> and then, like, the... I, I, I don't... Yeah, like, I just, I just don't have enough context to make a full read on the situation, where it's like, how much of this is just Paige is an ignorant white person, which is very likely, and how much of it is just, like, <laughs> Hazel just, like, making non-committal to somewhat committal, like, responses to being Jamaican over time. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, fine. Sure. Sure, sure. I feel like the only basis for that was the fact that Hazel seems to go to this one Jamaican restaurant, like, a lot. <laughs> and, like... <laughs> That's just, like, the worst. I know! And, like... Oh, oh God. I, it could be either way. And, like... And, like, to make, but, like, I think the real issue that I had with this was, like, okay, they had that exchange. It was ignorant. Okay. But then, like, the music is, like, typical Degrassi, like, transition music, but it suddenly has this, like, Jamaican flair of, like, a steel drum and stuff. Thanks, Degrassi. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, it's, like, okay, the exchange, I was, like, I could get behind. I get it. I understand what they're trying to set up. 
And then the transition music kicked in, and I was just like, oh no. I'm glad I set up my well, because I'm dying inside. Yeah, it was it was rough. Um, and then the music kicks in again, because Hazel goes to a Jamaican restaurant. Um, <laughs> Next to the pizza pizza. <laughs> yeah. Like the guy is like really is is really sweet. He like has her order memorized and everything. And like she she's like, oh, like you know, I'm doing a project about Jamaica. And like she's making this up on the fly. Like it's it's very like stilted as she's trying to explain this. Um, and she's like, oh, I gotta bring some food in for school. Um, and they they actually have like a like it's it's kind of like a good little subtle thing where like he's like oh well you know I know you like I think it's like she usually has like the goat curry or something like that mm-hmm. and he's like oh well you know we you know that 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 type of audience isn't gonna like that probably like let let me make some like let me get you some jerk chicken things yeah. like that which is like a nice little subtle thing which speaks to like how like. People are not adventurous with what they eat if it's outside of their culture. Um, and goat meat for some people is not, is like considered different. But, this guy was so nice though. He was so sweet. And then he tosses in a free poster. Well, um, he was so nice that I hoped him and Attila hung out. Yes, yes. The, uh, the guy who pierced Ellie's um, ear in... In the Drive episode. We don't see Ellie or Craig in this episode, and that disappointed me. <laughs> I know. Well, what really could they have done with this? I don't really want to know. I don't want to know the ugly, ignorant things that could have came out of their mouth for the sake of the plot. I wanted Ellie to be like, I'm from Transylvania. And they're like, fuck it, who cares? <laughs> yeah, like, sure, okay. She does, like, this very sincere project about about Transylvania. They're like, okay, fine. Fine. Um... But um but yeah like the 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 chef at the Jamaican restaurant is very very sweet. Um he gives her a poster being like, "Oh, like so you can get like an A on your project, here's some visual." Um and then 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 we have a transition scene of what International Day at Degrassi, which is literally just kids running around with flags as if it's the Olympics. <laughs> it was very Olympics-esque. Yeah, like just, just zooming. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, with less, like, McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> like, imagine the opening ceremony for the Olympics, but instead of waving the flag, they have another person out there with, like, <laughs> a country dish that they're just kind of walking around with. Yes. And I guess at the end, after it's all cold and everything, everyone gets to eat it. <laughs> yeah, well, I feel like that's no different from what International Day is, like, <laughs> ends up being. Because, like, okay, we get the spinner... And he makes like this like bizarre flatbread sandwich, like a flatbread. Like, like a I don't pizza. even call it like it looks like a pizza, but like I feel like I don't know if I could call it a pizza. Um, I forgot to write it down, but like it has a lot of pieces of his like like speaking back to the type of white person who has like every like European country like listed and like he has like all these different like I feel like bratwurst is in it and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> this part actually made me laugh because like like he's naming all the pieces like and Snake's just like yeah uh, how long did you cook this for? He's like I don't know like five minutes and Snake just spits it out. <laughs> um I will say this the one endearing aspect to this horrendous piece is that um Spinner does include water chestnuts for Kendra. 
Which was, like, very bad, but sweet simultaneously. Okay, so for me, like, I was just like, like, that was ignorance from Spinner, not ignorance out of, like, hate. Yeah, that felt very in character. (laughs) It was like, well, how do I work in, how do I work in my sister um, and the fact that she's adopted? Well, I'll dump some water chestnuts on here. On this weird flat bird with these gross undercooked sausages. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't know. I just, I, I just like the fact that he tried. Yeah, that I could get behind. Like that, that was very like what I would expect Spinner to try and do. That he can cons- like, yeah, that like she's just such an integral part of his family. Yeah, and like, and also like, I kind of, I was amused by Paige because like she's she's Ukrainian and so she's wearing a traditional Ukrainian outfit, but she specifically makes adjustments so like it's a crop top it's a short skirt like they they like showed like the back of her calf and i was just like oh why are we overly scandalized about a calf was it higher than i remember it's it's a fairly high skirt but like if i recall correctly that type of outfit like the skirt is very long i think it's ankle length that skirt like at least yeah i think yeah, like it's not, it's not a short outfit by any means. She cropped the hell out of it. <laughs> oh yeah, she did. I'm just saying, like I felt like, you know, I was in high school. Like, I'm not trying to shame like anyone, but like I've seen shorter skirts than that, you know. Yeah, but like I think also it's within the context of it being International Day and it's supposed to be like you showing off your culture and everything. Yeah. So like and also like let's be real, like dress code is such a politicized thing in at that age that like we it's not surprising to me because like Radich is talking to her yeah. and he's like super scandalized by her outfit and everything. Um, and she's able to just kind of, like, bat her eyes and, like, get out of it and then offer a pierogi, which, like, I want a pierogi, damn. Yep. <laughs> the worst part about that scene is how he reaches into that bowl with his grubby hands, bypasses the tongs that she has, and reaches in with his bare hands into the bowl to grab a pierogi. I was disgusted, and I could not <laughs> stop thinking about that for the rest of the episode. I did not even notice, and I'm so glad that you pointed it out to me. <laughs> I'm the principal. I'm allowed. Ew. Ew. Behave like a decent human being, like the rest of us. Jeez. Um. But yeah, like also, Snake is making his way around. He's wearing like a shirt with like a Swedish flag on it, right? I feel like it's a Swedish flag. I feel like it is. It was like blue. I was a social studies teacher, so like, I kind of i I feel like that type of stuff just clicks with me. Um, but anyway, so he goes to check out Hazel, and Hazel is in, like, ugh, it's, it's painful. She's in Jamaica mode. Uh, I don't want to describe what she's wearing. It's... It's a bad Rasta hat. Yeah. With, like, her hair still straightened with beads attached to it somehow to kind of mimic locks in the most upsetting way yeah um, it was not 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 a good look hazel well like also like what bothered me while i was looking at it i was like those aren't even the colors of the flag like 
it's not even that like it because it's like like the the colors are like I think green yellow and red or something like that which are like two of the colors of the Jamaican flag but like the red is so bright and off-putting to see because like I'm expecting the black from the flag and then like it was just very bright and jarring to me and it was just like it spoke to how she was like doing this on the fly and being like yep yep oh I'm I'm Jamaican it's it's yeah so like I understand and I think the thing with Hazel is like a lot I don't know there's aspects of it that I was like uh this is this is the writers out of their debt the death there's other parts of this episode that I'm like okay I understand why this child is acting this way I and I am sympathetic to it to a certain extent but like it was just so upsetting to watch yeah yeah because like snake <sighs> snake's like oh cool like I love jerk chicken and is like that entire exchange was so uncomfortable. Yeah, just like him being stereotypical white dude excited to try not white food, not white people food, and then like didn't he do some weird like yaman at the end? Of oh it? yeah, he yep. did. The that, absolute worst. That was that was the line that so, I was saying was worse than the other line. <laughs> Like, yeah, felt a piece of my soul leave my body. Yeah, he's just like, he says that, and like, he's just like, yeah. And just like, oh, it was so uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> she's, she's like, in trying to hide my one can of worms, I've opened up an even worse can of worms. Yeah. It's so, and, and like, as this exchange is happening, he says something like, oh, like, you really give, like, the restaurant that she got the food from, like, a run, like, your mom, like, cause he's, he's like, oh, it's my mom's stuff, and he's like, oh, you give, like, that restaurant a run for their money and everything, and, you know, you as the viewer have to suffer with your secondhand embarrassment. I was like, wait a minute, you said you eat there all the time, like, I know, a, like, I eat at McDonald's fairly often, I would know a McDonald's hamburger if I ate it. You're gonna go to McDonald's for that example, Frank? They have a, okay. Can you not say their hamburgers don't have a very distinct taste? I mean, yeah, but I would just be like, oh, when I go to, like, a local restaurant, like, all the time, like, I'd like to believe I could identify. You just went straight for, like, the, the lowbrow <laughs> example here. Okay. <laughs> but I understand what you're trying to say. I understand. But also, like, I think there is something to be said I'm about... I'm a simple man. A I know. I'm a simple, stupid, stupid man. I understand, and I'm sympathetic to your cause enough. But um, I think also this speaks to the white guy exuberance that Jazz is trying to touch upon, where it's like, he he is, like, just so, like, excited by the premise of not eating white people food that, like... He's not going to sit there and go, oh, this does taste exactly like the same order that I get at the same place all the time. Like, he's going to be caught up in the moment of eating, quote unquote, authentic Jamaican food. So, like, he's not going to sit there and be like, oh, this does actually taste like the same, same type of meal that I have when I order out. <laughs> I, I feel like he could have just... Like, if she had brought that up, he could have just yelled, I'm cultured, and run away. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> no, it's different. I'm cultured. <sighs> so, as this exchange is happening, um, we get a shot 
of Farisa and some of those other girls that Hazel tried to ticket earlier in the episode. Um, and Farisa just, like, just goes up to her and freaking goes for it. And is just like, oh, like, your last name is Aden. And Hazel's like, yeah. And the girl's just like, well, that's a common Somalian last name. Um, and then continues with, like, you look Somalian. And, and Hazel's response is just, she just hip check, like, kind of shoulder checks her, and as she's doing that, she goes, like, Jamaica declared war on Iraq, and, like, storms off. It's, like, the worst line possible. Like, it was just, like, pure Degrassi cheese in the worst situation possible. I agree. I agree. And it's, like, I mean, sometimes I feel like the... I don't know, there's something weird, and, like, I think a lot of veterans can kind of speak to this, where there are times where Degrassi has dialogue exchanges, and they are very, like, you know, they're very teenager, but there's something about, like, the Degrassi cheese lines that just, like, they take me out of it, like, I'm no longer immersed in the episode, and, and this was a line that was very like that, where I was just like, huh, oh, right, I'm watching Degrassi, now I remember. Right. I'm writing Degrassi, and a middle-aged man wrote this line. Yeah, I think that's yeah, the thing. Yeah. yeah, like, that's where I remember that this is not written by, like, this isn't, like, doesn't have the nuance that some YA does, where it's, like, you read it and you're immersed in it and you believe that these are teenagers. It's kind of, like, the difference between, like, a YA, a well-written YA novel and, like, your run-of-the-mill adult-targeted coming-of-age novel, mm. where it's, like... I understand they're two different audiences, but, like, I feel like the weakness and the reason why I have a lot of issues with coming-of-age novels is because they get so caught up in the prose and not so much on the characterization that you're like, that's not a teenager at all. Like, that's how I feel with some of these lines where, once again, like, the lines are just for the sake of this, like, vehicle of, like, drama or whatever. And I'm like, that's not how a kid talks. Go away. Yeah, I can... Uh, yeah, I was thinking... As you're talking about, like, how if you go too far in the opposite direction, like, you get Juno. Where, yeah. Like, honest to blog, it's like, I've literally never any heard anyone say that. Yeah, yeah, it is that very, like, Diablo Cody-esque understanding of how a human being works. Yeah, but this is just Degrassi's own weird universe. Yeah, and there's a couple lines like that, which I, like, there's a couple lines like that where, like, you hear them and, like, yeah, I think they go back to what you were saying, Jazz, like that Degrassi cheese line where, like, you hear it and it's just like, what the fuck? Okay. Like, I would have appreciated more if, like, Hazel walked away and was just like, oh, that was my best line. And just came over something later, she's like, damn it. Yeah, something <laughs> real like that. But... I mean, honestly, the plot of this is moves way too quickly for that to really happen because it's like that exchange happens. They have a lunch break. Hazel storms off. Um, lunch, like everything, everybody returns from lunch. And then we see that Farisa, which I'm realizing we didn't get her name until very late in the episode. Like I'm looking at my notes and I realized that I didn't know her name for a little bit of it. So like there's a lot of really clunky, like my look at my notes. I'm like, who am I talking about? Her. Right. Um, when they get back from lunch, everyone sees that Farisa's display, which is of her, um, her presentation for International Days Iraq, um, has terrorist spray painted across it. 
Um, which I actually paused the episode and there's an interesting little aspect of this which is very time capsule-y. This is gonna sound really historian and most people probably will just skip this part of the podcast. Um, I looked at the flag and I was like, that looks different from what I think that flag looks like. And then I found a timeline of the changes in, in the Iraq flag. And apparently that was a very specific version of it from that time period. And like, as, yeah, like, because of what was happening during that time period um, with the military conflicts and the revolutions, et cetera, et cetera, um, the flag changed about three times over the course of, like, a couple years. So that is, like, one of the in-between stages of the flag, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. Yeah, because I was, like, looking at it, and I was just like, why is that? And I found a very nifty infographic. Um but yeah, it looks different now. Um, so it's, not only is it spray painted, but like the props used in it are destroyed. It looks like there's like a vase of some sort that's shattered. Um, a couple other things are just like wrecked in it. Like not, it's not just like, oh, you defaced it, which was horrible, but it looks like any items that she brought, some of which may have meant something to her and meant something to her family were destroyed as well. Yeah. Um, so Radich and the police are talking to Farisa. Farisa is, like, crying and very much upset. Um, Snake calls it what it is and calls it a hate crime, um, and tells the kids that that's what's going on, and Degrassi, like, pretty much runs a shelter in place in response to it. Uh, I felt like the teacher's response was very adequate in this episode. Yeah, I was actually surprised yeah. that they were willing to shut down the school in response to this. Yeah. Um, and then we get a roundtable discussion. Oh my god, I got whiplash emotionally and <laughs> visually. I hated this part. This was oh like, oh, uh, it's just like, so like, it all starts with like, Terry being like, nobody in this class would do it. Um... And then, like, everybody, so, like, we're back in everybody's individual classes. Um, Snake explains that, like, you know, classes are suspended. And then we just get, like, bebopping to all these other classes. Um, so we have Ashley being sympathetic um, to what was happening, which we see because she also is the one that calls out. Sorry, Jazz, you, didn't you have something about this line? I just mentioned the fact that she had, like, only two lines in this episode, and this is yeah. one of them. I, I honestly can't exactly remember what she said. Okay. This line I'm fine with, because she says like, she says something that's really sympathetic to Farisa and what she's dealing with. There's a yeah. second line that she makes that I have gripes with, but I'm not going to get into okay. that yet. Um, Spinner does some, like, I wrote early aught-flavored Islamophobia. Um, which is just, like, him, I think it's him talking about, like, he, is this when he says something about, like, the bo bombs being dropped on them? He's like, nobody, I don't want to get on a plane and think, like, it's going to get blown up. Yeah, which, yeah. as painful as this one was, this felt like a real thing that kids would say. Yeah. From that perspective. Like, that's the thing. It's like, some of the sound bites I think, landed really well, because even if they were horrible ideas, I understood why the character said it, and then some of them were just like, Bleh. Um. Right. 
Jimmy then points out that like he has a neighbor who has been discriminated against post 9-11. It's like his last name, I think, has... I thought he said uncle. Was it? Yeah. Oh. I don't... I think it was a neighbor. I, I do remember neighbor. I don't think it was a relative. Okay. But I remember that the name was um Osama. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which like was a real and I and it still is a huge issue, like no fly lists, like I remember one of the first news headlines that I really remember having to do with the Islamophobia post nine eleven was because this is the only way that you could make this type of headline land in the community I came from, which was like when children would appear on no fly lists because of their names and yeah. stuff like that. And like you would have a literal three year old be like you know not be able to fly because of the way that this system was being handled during that time period but jimmy points out a really a real thing which i feel like a lot of teachers when they talk about 9-11 and post 9-11 are only just beginning to talk about which is that very real discrimination that people experienced that brown people experienced um afterwards um And the discussion then jumps to the middle school, um, which Quan is wearing an outfit, and she definitely has chopsticks in her hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, I had to pause it, because, like, I know that the dress that she wears, like, I have a lot of friends who have very complicated feelings toward that style of dress. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not adequate, I am not adequately prepared to really go into that, but I know I have friends who have vocalized a lot of, like, just very complicated feelings toward it. Like, not necessarily one way or another, there's a definitive, like, yeah, okay, this dress is fine, yeah, okay, this dress is not fine. But the hair part? I was just like, oh no. (laughs) Yeah, the hair was a bit of a disaster. To say the least. Were we collective like as a fashion was like was it that let's see that this episode was like 2003 right was that one 2002 were people still were people at the time doing the chopstick thing i remember was very in at some point during this time period probably yeah i remember it being very very in and i couldn't remember exactly if like we're right in that in the midst of that trend or if we're like, you know, just after it or just before it, but I remember it being a big thing. I think we were probably in the heart of it. Yeah. It just was like I looked at it and I became like I just remembered when that was a big fashion trend. Yeah. We we see it for like two seconds, but like those two seconds I was just like I had to rewatch it. I was like, oh my oh god, oh no. Like each time I looked at it, because it's like, you know, oh, a student, uh, not a student, a teacher participating in International Day. That's great. And then you're like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, wait. Oh, no. You're like, oh. I did not go back because I could not have this episode go on any longer than it did. That's fair. I paused it. I rewatched it. It took me like an hour and a half to watch this episode. Um, <laughs> this is where the emotional whiplash hit me the most, because when it goes to the middle school, Toby talks about how like he has his family's experienced discrimination so he we've had establishment already that toby is jewish um and he reveals like oh like this is horrible and 
you know, I feel, I feel horrible about the situation because, like, my family has been discriminated against, and, like, I'm pretty sure he just says straight up, like, his grandparents died in the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah. he says great-grandparents died. Okay, great-grandparents. But, yeah, like, he, which is, you know, a, a huge thing to share in class, and, like, good on Toby for feeling comfortable to share that. Um, and then, like, Kendra raises her hand, and... <sighs> I wrote in my notes, I'm post-race because I'm adopted. Yep. Which, like, dilutes, which I feel like... And the thing is, is, like, I feel like Kendra's point is a point that I do think a lot of transracial adoption stories sometimes touch upon for people. Like, a lot of people have this kind of... This type of conceptualization, especially when they're really young, because Kendra is young like Kendra is in seventh grade compared to Emma and company who are in eighth grade compared to Paige and company who are in ninth grade so I understand why a seventh grader would come from that perspective but it also makes me sad because I know that Degrassi is not going to really unpack Kendra's feelings toward this because Mm -hmm. they just don't give Kendra the light of day that she deserves yeah um we have Sean, who says, like, it's straight up, he said it was straight up, like, hate, right? Um, I think so. Well, Jimmy also says something, and this is where Ashley annoys me. Jimmy says, like, you know, just talking about it won't change anything. And Ashley's like, oh, that's a great approach, which just reads to me as, like, white feminism. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Like. <laughs> She's like, I'm. I'm the first and the second coming of the white savior. <laughs> like, she's just like that. And then, like, oh, this is where Spinner says, like, he doesn't want to sound racist, but he doesn't want to be bombed. <sighs> okay, but let's give the... Spinner. Let's give the, um, let's give the writers credit for throwing in somebody, the, the authenticity of having somebody say, I'm not, I don't want to be racist, but... Honestly, <laughs> but- Spinner's ignorance was so real and true and felt consistent with this character. Yeah. Like, it it felt real. And that's the thing. It's like, this roundabout exchange thing that they did, I feel like a lot of the time, like, it landed pretty okay. It wasn't always pleasant, but I feel like Spinner, like, I'll give the writers this, and, like, I feel like this is the nicest thing I'm going to say about the writers, which isn't even that nice when you really think about it, is, like, they can write a they can write a kid convincingly for how that has racist ideas. They can write dumb kids well. Yeah, that's that's yeah. yeah. But you know, I was um I was also for me there was a highlight on who was absent from this, Manny and Emma. Yeah. Like yeah. hey, another person of color and Emma the activist. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah. It's almost like they didn't want to actively write, because the way that they handled the situation, because they threw out a bunch of one-liners of various opinions that were definitely happening in real life at the time, Mm -hmm. but then it didn't go anywhere. Like, they didn't actually, they, they took a stance with it in the end, but they weren't really that convincing with it, I don't feel. Like, they had all these kids throughout their opinions, and occasionally teachers just kind of chiming in but not really 
and it, it just felt like this whole section where everyone just kind of like that weird montage it didn't feel I don't know like I hate to say that it didn't feel necessary because I feel like it had a point in the episode but at the same time like it, it just didn't feel I don't know I, I can't even say like my whole feelings on that point I, I don't have words for it it, it reminds me of, like, watching, like, a white male politician where he's just throwing out, like, and this thing is bad, and that thing is bad, and that yeah. thing is bad. There's no depth to it because he doesn't exactly. understand. Well, I think that, there, that there yeah, like, that boils down my gripes with this episode where piece by piece, you know, when we talk about it, I feel like while there's definitely bad stuff in it, I like, you know, there are parts of it that I think aren't the worst, but it's very surface level. And mm-hmm. and that's the, I think, the real folly of this episode and why if I pick it apart piece by piece, everything is kind of mediocre. But if I talk about the overall experience, it's miserable. It's because, like, it doesn't deep dive at the level that this topic deserves, that this topic should have. Um, and we do... it. Like, it feels like in certain ways the entire episode is that montage in terms of the observations that are made. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, Radich calls in Hazel as this, like, stuff is happening um, because Farisa, rightfully so, reports Hazel for the, the, um, I assumed, like, she was asked, like, do you have any suspicions of who could do this? And she reveals what Hazel has been doing during the whole entire day with the ticket and the confrontation and stuff like that. And the, let's call it what it was, a, 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 ver, a, a threat. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a threat. Um, because he even says, like, oh, like, did you not say, like, Jamaica declares war on Iraq and things like that. And, like, you know, she's getting rightfully called out on this type of stuff. Um, which is interesting. Radish is not usually this overt. Like, usually he's always, like, sidestepping stuff. But, like, he is very upfront. Like, no, you did this, and that's not okay. I, I mean, well, yeah. The, the last major thing Radish we've seen had to deal with is Armstrong. Yeah. And, like, after that, like, JT and Toby. like It's true. It's true. Well, I'm just saying, like, when, like, JT, like, tries to make, like, a... a boobs for a science project or like even in the case of like Paige with the outfit that she's wearing here like he's kind of like and like tries to evaporate out of it like as quickly as he can yeah like he's just like oh I'm not gonna set any precedent goodbye (laughs) I mean I don't know I I did like I said I still found his handling of this hate crime like more than adequate. I agree. I agree. Because what yeah. he, he does do is he... They do figure out who do, did it, which were some 10th grade boys. Um, but he does follow up with pa- with uh, Hazel. And I really... I, I don't know how else to put what he tells her other than, like, he basically is describing the pyramid of hate. Yeah. In a way that's, like, very easy to follow. Which, like, for people who don't know what, like, the pyramid of hate is, um, it's like a pyramid. You can look it up online. It's pretty easy uh, to find where it shows you the different levels of hate that people can exhibit. And the tippy top of the pyramid is genocide. Um, But leading 
up to it is what he's talking about, which is these small-scale threats and assumptions and stereotypes. And then you move your way up and up and up until you are committing a, you know, a horrible, like, horrible, horrible thing. So, like, and he's very clear about that. Like, look, like, you know, this is a big deal and it leads to more things, which I thought was a very good way of handling it and probably one of the best moments in the episode for me because I think it's actually a very comprehensive way to tell your kid audience like look you may think this is okay and that it's not going to hurt anybody but it does yeah right it's a very straightforward way of saying hey you know it's it's basically you know describing microaggressions yes Um, yes although these are sort of like a little bit elevated microaggressions i would say they're not necessarily on the level but like you know he's basically explaining hey even these small things can hurt which a lot of people even now don't like to admit yeah i agree um Although Radich's compromise sucks because he's like, oh yeah, Farisa, if you like redo the whole project, we'll display it in in the front of the school. It's like, yeah, so she has to redo her project for you to spotlight it. So she still has to put more work into this after it was destroyed. Right. I, I fully agree with what you said. I... It was misguided, but I think he was trying to like... I know, but... I was like, Farisa did more than enough work. Please leave her alone. <laughs> yeah. So, so then we get Hazel talking to Farisa. Yeah. Um, Farisa is pissed off, rightfully so. I love the sheer, like, no, you're not forgiven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I th- also think that's really important for an audience to see that, like, you can feel bad about doing like you know you can feel bad about doing something like that and exhibiting hate but like the person who is affected by it doesn't need to forgive you yeah exactly and like i think that's a really important lesson and that's i you know i think that i don't remember if we really see a white character go through something like this i don't think so i feel like that's asking for too much well that would actually work well, that would require a person of color to be part of the A-plot, and Degrassi's not going to do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to think, like, because, like, I feel like the only thing that we've seen so far was, like, that horrendous fight during, I don't know if you remember this, Jazz, but, like, Spinner and um, Jimmy have, like, a breakdancing contest type deal, and, like, they fight and it devolves to Spinner saying that Jimmy is discriminating against him because he doesn't think that he can dance because he's white. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, so like, that's rough. And I, I just don't know. I, maybe, maybe I'm just not remembering but I can't recall off the top of my head a time where a white person is called out in this capacity. Regardless, I, you know, I am glad that we see a character not accept an apology. I think that's always important to see in a show, especially for teenagers, because I think that a lot of them, in many, many different ways, are told, like, oh, you should forgive anybody who apologized for you and feels bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But, um, so Hazel then says that she is Somalian. It's true. Like, Farisa's right. Like, um, when she made that, uh, when she, um, at, when she not asked her, she just said she was. Um, and then Hazel explains why she has this complex about this whole entire thing, which is that she had, you know, she went to a school prior to Degrassi, um, and she was jumped and was called a terrorist when it happened. Mm. And then Farisa's just like, well, you sure learned from that. And I silently <laughs> applauded Farisa. <laughs> but I was like, this is really rough. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, it's hard because... I mean, it's it's a good example. What well, I, I don't I don't even know if I could call it a good example, but it's an example of like you can be hurt, but that doesn't mean that you can hurt other people. And while I think this is a lesson that I would like to see other characters experience, JT maybe, <laughs> like maybe JT, like it would be nice to see him experience this. But like it, it is a lesson to be learned that, like, you know, you can be hurt, and, and, you know, Hazel's trauma is very real, and I, I, you know, I, I understand how that can make somebody hurt in the way that she's hurting, but I think it's also important to be told, like, okay, so, like, yeah, like, come on, like, that's not, that's not an excuse for hurting me and making my life a living hell. I don't know. I really, I think this is why I wanted to see Farisa so bad as a character because I feel like, and this still exists a lot, where when we talk about, um, when we talk about, like, when we talk about, like, um, Islam as a religion and everything, you know, the general societal stereotype is like, oh, like, Muslim women are submissive, et cetera, et cetera. And she's a very good example of someone, and Hazel is too, like, you know, women who are not submissive that do have their opinions and do have their viewpoints and are going to share their opinions and viewpoints. Right. Like, I would have loved to see Fariza become a, a recurring character just so I could see what developed between Hazel and Fariza. Like, yeah. I feel like that alone would have been a good reason to keep her on as a, a main recurring character just because, like, you know, that's another dynamic. You have now two Muslim characters who potentially could have main recurring roles and then they just did nothing with her and it's, oh, God, it hurts. Yeah, I agree. It's It goes back to that, um, that conversation piece about representation. And, like, when we talk about representation, we talk about how, like, you know, you can't have your character be a monolith, like, if they are a part of a marginalized group. And the, to me, now, I, you know, I can only speak to my own writing, but I think the easiest way for me to avoid a character being a monolith is if I have multiple characters from a community. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you're worried about writing a trans character and you're worried that your trans character is going to become a mouthpiece for the trans community, make multiple trans characters. Like, <laughs> exactly. I, I'm working on a um, 
manuscript where two people are sharing the same body, like two souls sharing the same body. One of the souls, you know, is uh, gay, the other one is not. And I was just like, well, why wouldn't she just have a bunch of, like, friends from the LGBTQ community? Right? Like, it makes sense. Like, that's exactly. that's what representation and, like, and, like, true, truly, like, creating interesting characters, I feel like, comes from, where, like, just the idea of having a character who chooses to um, keep their hair covered versus not, et cetera, et cetera, and just, like, you have a character who, um, like, I don't know, it's just, like, I feel like they would have had a very interesting relationship and an interesting exchanges throughout the series if yeah like if they committed to to having farisa around and it just felt like i'm sorry go ahead um please um i was thinking because like you know this is very much so obviously the post 9-11 plot like the fact that they just kind of thought oh well you know we'll do this once and then this will be our focus on post 9-11 islamophobia slash islam and then, I don't know, do they actually even touch on Hazel's being a Muslim at any other point other than this episode? I don't remember any time that they do. Like... I, I, will, I will put... Yeah. E- Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I was just thinking, because, like, you know, it's... It would be one thing if they actually developed this further. Like, sure, this is a cool introduction to this, but then what are you going to do with it? Yeah. And the fact that they apparently do nothing with it, it is just, it just feels really lazy and kind of almost forced. Because, like, how much of this was planned before? And, like, did they suddenly decide that they were going to make Hazel a Muslim? Or was this already plotted out before this episode? Like, how much of this was actually given any concrete thought? It's the Saved by the Bell where Zach is Native American. Oh, jeez, I did not know that was a thing. Oh, what? Jeez, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, and I will put down a solid 20. Like, you know, against whoever wants to take this bet that this never comes up again. <laughs> well, it's like... It, it also speaks to, like, how the writers don't care about the importance of this representation. Because it's like, well, think of it this way. Think of, like, Craig. Craig being an abuse survivor carries through, right? Paige being a survivor of sexual assault carries through. Marco being gay carries through. Like, a lot of characters, certain things about Ellie carry through. Like, there are elements of certain characters' plots that do come up again. Characters dealing with their traumas, with their identities, etc., etc. And, and it, you know, there's time and care that put into that they put into that. And, and when I think about Degrassi, yes, I think about the big episodes, about the big topics, but I remember characters relapsing, and I remember characters still not having everything figured out and, like, needing another episode to to be more comfortable with their identity and things like that. But, like, it just speaks to how little care and sensitivity were actually being put into this because Hazel, as a character, and Hazel's religion are not treated with the same degree of respect that Paige's sexual assault is handled. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
And it's just... Like, one of the main writing things, um, Donnie, uh, I believe we've talked about this, is this is one um, X-Men comic called Excalibur about a Muslim doctor who finds, like, the... Uh, Finds Excalibur, excuse me. Um, and it's written by, I believe, by by a dude. And I believe he's not Muslim, but he, somebody asked him, like, how do you write that? And he's like, easily. You have your character only talk about their religion when an, a normal person would talk about their religion. And I was just like, I don't think the Degrassi writers ever could come up with something like that. I think they're like, this character exists for this reason, and this reason alone. Now we're moving on. Yeah, but like that's yeah. also, but like they wouldn't even have the decency to be like, hmm, you know, like Ramadan was happening, so maybe like you know just have her be like, I'm fasting. Can you not fucking eat in front of me right now? <laughs> like I'm have a headache. Right. Leave me alone. <laughs> like, which honestly I feel like would have been. I hesitate to be like entertaining because that's such like a deeply important part of the religion, but like at least give me something to go off of because I feel like it, like, you know, anybody who has friends who observe Ramadan, like, or practices Ramadan themselves, like, there's a very specific emotional state that you're in during that time period, um, during that month, and I think it would be something that would be, from, like, a, a writing perspective, something to write about and talk about, and, and, but, like, that also speaks to, like, how little they care, once again, like, I, I don't know, like, if I asked the writers after writing this episode, like, oh, so, like, you know, what are some of, like, the traditions? Like, they would just be like, oh, the women sometimes cover their heads. And, uh, like, I feel like that's all I would get if I talked to the writers after this point. Did they actually use the term hijab in this episode? I don't think so. I think they use veil. Because this goes, so so the last part of, the last piece of this episode is Hazel doing a new presentation. And this is where Hazel reveals a lot of her backstory, which once again, I actually found interesting. <laughs> I didn't like how it was presented because it was all just super overt, but also at the same time, they don't freaking talk about it afterwards anyway. She escaped, like, a civil war her, uh, in Somalia. Her, her mom escaped a civil war. Her father fought in the civil war. Yeah, like... Like, and we never get any of it. Like, no! Like, it's interesting stuff. Like, like that is, like, something that's going to impact you and impact how you view the world. That's a novel. Yeah! Like, <laughs> like, that's a novel on its own. Like, my grandparents, my grandparents on my father's side saw, um, what's-his-ass coming into pa Mussolini coming to power in Italy, like, we're going to bounce. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's, like, interesting and something that, like, you just found common ground with within your own family history. Like, I feel like it's something that, like, could have been something that informed your more, um, you, like, you know, your audience that maybe doesn't know about this type of stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, at that age, a lot of kids don't fully realize that civil wars aren't just, like, one event in, at least in U.S. audiences. Like, a lot of people associate civil war with the civil war. And, like, it's a, it's very hard. Some Like, some kids at that, at the age that they were watching Degrassi probably haven't really talked about civil wars outside of that one. Yeah. And, 
that alone is an interesting teachable moment to be like, oh, like, did you know Civil Wars still happen? They still actively are happening. And, like, this impacts people that may be in your community today. Yeah, like, or, you know, there's not, like, the revolution or the Civil War. There's multiple of those things in other countries that have been around longer. Yeah, like... Exactly. It's just very, like, it's interesting content, and it made me upset in the sense that it made me realize all like this potential that we just don't we just don't get to see with her which we'll talk about her blog post the actress's blog post about this in a bit but um so like because like i think terry asked a question about like covering your head or something like that i don't after after clearly staring at farisa (laughs) yeah right um and then like hazel kind of gives that generic well it's a choice etc etc um, she does end the slideshow with a picture of herself wearing a hijab, which I thought was, you know, a very powerful note to end on. I, yeah. I did also, like, they do cut back to Farisa, who is still not happy about any of this. No, no. Because, like, also, it's like, and Farisa shouldn't be happy, because, have like, you know, I, that's not an indicator that you learned your lesson. That's an indicator that you you got called out. <laughs> and also, like, all things considered, Farisa still has to go to this school. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah, hey, exactly. Hey. Like, she still has to deal with the people who trashed her, her presentation. Like, give, yeah. Give me a two-episode arc on Farisa being like, oh, right. Like, because, like, I think we've talked about this before, like, after this past election, you're learning that a bunch of people around you have really broken moral compasses. Yeah. And Farisa already knows that from this. I was just like, give me, like, a day in the life of Farisa where shit is awful. I'm, I'm sorry it is that way, but that would make for a very interesting pair of episodes, which I think would have been really good for the kids of 2002. Okay. We're still going. All right, we're still My, going. The recording just stopped. <laughs> yeah, it was very scary, but we caught it just in time. Like, it, it, we did not lose anything. Thank God. Okay, good. But, um, yeah, it would have been really upset, because... I, I, I need to, like, offload old episodes, because, like, the raw, like, data is, like, this will be, like, three gigabytes. Oof. So. Ooh-wee. Oh well. <laughs> I have I have like two like a, I have a terabyte storage unit, so it'll go on okay, there. It'll be fine. That's good. But yeah, like um I think that there is like this thing and I think that I think of the issue with Degrassi and I think this is an issue with a lot of teen media, especially like visual media, where you operate like you can tell the writers are operating under the assumption that the that people like the audience for these shows is not marginalized in any way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's like they don't imagine people who are not from the community watching these episodes. I, I would argue maybe some of the... I, I felt seen by some of the Marco episodes growing up. I don't know how I'll feel when I'm watching them when I'm older, but, like, I feel like regardless of, like, those fleeting moments I had with that arc... I do feel like a lot of this is Degrassi being like, let's show you this slice of it. It's not really trying to find common ground with their marginalized audience. It's trying to show you a perspective. And and I understand that has a time and place. Like, I do think that, yes, you do want to teach 
kids who don't come from certain backgrounds or have certain experiences what it's like, but they don't try and do anything authentically, and because of it you get episodes like this and you lose potential with characters like Farisa because probably to the writers they don't see why their audience would like Farisa. Like, how could they relate to Farisa? They can relate to Hazel because, like, she's kind of like Paige. Like, you know, she's assimilated. But, like, Farisa is too foreign for, for this audience to possibly like her. Even so, you lose out on Hazel a little bit, too, because, mm -hmm. like, that part of her essentially gets erased after this episode. Yeah. Because, like you said, like, well, people aren't going to be able to relate to her. And so, like, at that point, it's like, Almost why why would you bother if you're not actually going to follow with this? I agree. I agree. It, it does hit that moment where it's like, okay, so what? Okay, so you spent 22 minutes, like, you know, trying to bring up this, this issue. Okay, fine, we know it's bad. Maybe some people watching it realize that that type of stuff is bad. But, like, it just, it, it's always gonna, this type of stuff always falls flat to me. Because it just shows insincerity and a lack of investment in actually trying to right these wrongs and also in terms of like really trying to create media that you know maybe not every single teen like is going to be able to relate to every like you know Degrassi but at least make something out of this that a couple more kids would be able to relate to that maybe they didn't always find in media that was targeted toward them. Or even just, like, you know, use it as a platform to expose, like, say you assume that your audience isn't to be even close to having a decent percentage of marginalized people. Why not use this as a platform to introduce your audience to marginalized people in, like, a respectful way so that, hey, they come out of this media with a different perspective on people that they might not have even encountered ever before. Like, why not use it in that way if you're not actually going to use it sort of to target like a marginalized audience yeah i agree um yeah. it's it's upsetting it's very upsetting and i don't want to say discouraging because i feel like that would imply like it doesn't light a fire under my ass as like a creator myself but it is upsetting because it does make me think of how many you know, and I feel like this is also the, the double-edged sword when we talk about representation. Like, when we do create or find creations of good representation, you know, it's very exciting and, and you know, this wonderful event. But it does make you, well, it makes me personally reflect on, like, how many years it took to get to this point. Mm. And how many kids had to, you know, be hurt by this episode because of what they had to experience or the excitement of maybe Farisa becoming something or Hazel's identity being talked about more. Yeah. And then nothing happened. Right. Which I feel like is a pretty good transition point to the blog post that I encourage everyone to check out. Um, yeah. So the actress that played Hazel um, does a lot of content creation at this point. I was looking into it. Um, she has a web series called Black Actress. Um, she has um, a couple other things that she has some like production credits on, writing credits on, things like that. 
um, some other acting gigs as well. Um, and she writes at length about her life and her experiences and things like that. And I think in 2013, I think it was, she actually wrote a blog post reflecting on her time on Degrassi. Um, so for a little bit of context, um, she reveals it in the article. We'll, we'll provide a link yeah. um, in the description so you can read it yourself. Degrassi is her longest gig, which for any actor is very impressive. It's like six seasons, I think she said. She was on Degrassi, um, which is huge. Like, that's a very long time to be on a TV show. Um, and the the very upsetting thing about her time on Degrassi was this episode that we saw today was, like, her only major plot. So... Any time that Hazel is in here, from here on out, and even before, it's because she's the friend of Paige or the girlfriend of, insert character here, etc, etc, etc. Which she brought up toward the end of the essay, uh, toward the end of the blog post, how a lot of people didn't really like Hazel and didn't really feel like she did anything. I mean, like... It's, it sucks because they're kind of right because she doesn't do anything, but that's not like a fault of the character. It's, yeah. it's literally the fault of the writers not doing anything with her. Yeah. And so, yeah. Like, I feel like some characters, you could kind of, like, the thing is, so with, I've been trying to, I, I've been reading up a little bit about, like, Degrassi fandom and, like, some of its responses to certain characters. And it's like, I feel like sometimes you get instances like Liberty where you have a character who has a decent amount of screen time, gets some A plots and B plots, but the fandom is overwhelmingly negative toward her because fandom is racist, period. And yeah. without hesitation will, will entirely like hate and separate themselves from from characters who aren't white, especially, like, black women. So, not surprising, Liberty comes onto the scene, fandom has very negative things toward her. Well, it's, it's also depending on, like, how the character is written, because, like, Manny and Emma are written to be, like, like, Manny's a hopeless romantic... Emma is an activist, and, like, they're not written as, I would say, as bossy as Liberty is. Like, they also aren't written as, like, condescending to the writer's favorite character. Mm. Like, because, you know, it does also, like, because it's just, like, in most media, especially TV, like, as long as... From what, from what I've seen, like, as long as, like, women are minding their place and being polite, they're fine. But, like, because this, like, the hate towards Liberty reminds me a lot of the hate towards Skylar from Breaking Bad. Uh, mm -hmm. Where, um, Anna Gunn wrote also a very great essay about people hating her character. And, like, you know, if you're a sensible person who doesn't also, you know, hate women, you're like... Oh no, she has a very good point. Like, you know, this man's a monster. But it's just like as long as the as long as the women are 
moving out of the way to let the boys be boys, I, I feel like most fandoms are fine with it. To an extent, because yeah. I do feel like Jazz and I have battle definitely skills. a racialized aspect towards fandom's reaction towards Liberty. Because I would... I, I can't 100% say with certainty, but if Liberty were white, mm-hmm. there would be less outward hatred towards her. Well, I mean, also... Um, same probably goes with Hazel, honestly. I mean, another way to look at it is that they have... Sorry, I was, like, trying to pick grab my laptop for a second, and then I just ended up running back. The thing about <laughs> them is they do have a white counterpart that is very easy to look at how fandom perceives them, because Liberty and Emma are very similar. The series series acknowledges that Liberty and Emma are similar, but Emma gets to be seen as positive. And then with Hazel, you do have a direct white counterpart. It's Paige. So these two characters, Emma and Paige, are beloved in fandom. They they, They are the ones that people invest in their ships with. Like, those two are in two powerhouse ships, one of which I will not spoil to you, Frank. But, um, they are loved, and people made content for them, still make content for them. But their, but their black counterparts, Liberty and Hazel, were constantly pushed aside, either overtly hated by fandom or, and or overtly hated by the writers. Mm-hmm. <sighs> But, um... That kind of goes... Oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. no, no, please. Go ahead. Yeah, because that was kind of what I was thinking about touching on earlier, but now that we've talked about her post, like, the fact that... Honestly, the whole time I was watching this episode, I was just upset at the fact that they did this to Hazel, of all characters, when she is the one, honestly, the only really prominent dark-skinned black character. Mm-hmm. And then... They made her Islamophobic, and they made her, like, so caught up in her self-hate that she lashes out at another Muslim character with the exact same thing that she experienced. And just, like, having your one black, dark-skinned character do that and not actually redeem themselves, either in this episode or any time in the future, because you can't, because Frieza's not there, like... The entire time I was just thinking, how dare they? Because, and then looking at at Andrea's response, like, how they were writing her character, like, it makes so much more sense that they would do this to her, because, I mean, they were racist. Like, they, they didn't care to actually develop her further, because they were essentially trying to get their tokenism out the way. It's like, okay, we've done something for the black girl, well, let's focus on our white babes. Yeah. Like, that was basically just the episode. Yeah. And I like how they're like, well, we need to have somebody else be a little bit hateful, so we're going to have it go to, like, Terry. Like, Terry was also not being great in this episode. No, no, Terry was not great in this episode. It was very classic, like, sheltered white girl but we can't like go all the we can't go all in on terry because yeah. we can't like we want to like do stuff with terry yeah yeah like you very easily could have had the brunt of the islamophobia come from terry and or page like especially like you could have had this be I mean, Paige has kind of been dumped on recently, but, like, this story very well could have been talking about Paige's power over Terry and how, like, her terrible ideas 
also make Terry, like, kind of get peer pressured, call back to, like, season one, and how their dynamic is not the best. If you wanted to use this set of characters, which you did not need to. Yeah, like, I honestly feel like you could just have this whole thing be handled by Terry. Like, Terry shows, like, her her Islamophobia, then Hazel, like, realizes how, like, alone Fariza is. And then decides mm. to, like, kind of, like, rise to the occasion. Instead of, like, you have, like, why did the, why did this character need to, like, go down? Like, exactly. like, go mm-hmm. down like, into... Why did she even... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's just, like, yeah, like, I don't know, it just sucked. Like, it's, there's so many better ways to write this episode. Yeah, and, like, a big thing about, so, like, um... Andrea Lewis says, like, in her blog post, like, all the other episodes, I was the token dose of color or a glorified extra. Um, And she proceeds to talk about how she did try to suggest character development to the producers, which, like, wasn't uncommon, if I recall correctly, on the Degrassi set. Like, if kids had ideas of, like, what they wanted their characters to do, it was commonplace for them to talk about it. And a lot, if I recall correctly, like, a lot of characters, like, the way that they dressed and presented themselves, a lot of the time had some sort of connection back to, like, how the actor themselves would do so. Like, some people were kind of fitting certain roles, but I know that, like, some some of the characters had more of a reflection on um, the person themselves than others. So it was commonplace for them to bring up some of their plot ideas. And, and, um... Andrea, like, tried to bring up some of these ideas, and they were always shut down. And I think one of the saddest parts of it was not super large-scale, but, like, her talking about how she, like, wrote an album. And and then she was turned canonically into a bad singer, which I said in the episode when (laughs) we watched it, I was like, she is fake singing badly. Like, she knows how to sing, but she's pretending she doesn't know how to sing. Um... But regardless, canonically, now the writers have grounds to be like, yeah, well, you know, you can't sing. Your character can't sing, so forget about singing. Meanwhile, like, um, Aubrey Graham, who then became Drake, was allowed to perform multiple times in the series and really did set the foundation in many ways for what would eventually become his music career. Mm-hmm. Like... it's very upsetting in that sense. Um, And then she talked about how she, like, worked with a filmmaker, like, she talked to a filmmaker who was on Degrassi afterwards. And and the the filmmaker said, like, no, the writers are invested in pushing their characters of color to do, to just be sidekicks, which we see Hazel suffer from perpetually, or stereotypes, which... um, we we see the rumblings of now, Frank, obviously you're not up to certain aspects of this yet, but, like, I feel, if my memory serves me right, I feel like it's, like, very overt in later seasons. I think so, especially with Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, like, Jimmy, and then, like, I remember there is one character in particular that's on there for a hot second, but, like, I remember how he acted, and I remember it being very, 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 very stereotypical, um, like, comically so, um, which we'll get to soon enough, but, like, none of this is particularly surprising, 
Um, and the filmmaker referred to the whole thing as, quote, a blatant hierarchy system. Which connects back to our grousing about JT to a certain extent. It's obvious that his character, whether, you know, regardless of whether we think this is even compelling TV, was most likely at the top of that hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And it's just very upsetting. It's like, okay, yeah, it's upsetting for any actor to go through this, but there's something especially fucked up about being a kid and going through this. Yeah, it's like... I mean, it's just... I don't know, like, reading um, Andrea's, like... I might mispronouncing her name. I have, I don't, I, you know, I should have checked a video where she pronounces her name. I should have done that before. Uh, I feel like I'm yeah. Um, it just, like, I don't know, like, yeah, sorry, I'm, like, getting tired. I can't think anymore. Well, it's just, no, it's fine. This is also an exhausting topic. Yeah, it's just, like, it's just a very upsetting thing, and... I feel like any, you know, people who are marginalized, especially in the context of race, like, you know, when you go through it, you're usually exposed to it very young and you're pretty aware of it. But once again, like, I can't help but think about how traumatic that must be to be, to watch your character flounder and to watch you always be a sidekick or a love interest and, like, never get the chance to really show your talent as an actor to never be able to have that heavy emotional scene and to always be seen as a joke like it's just like i you know she she was you know she exposed this she was very honest she also then turned it around and said, you know, I am still thankful for my time. And and I, I can't be mad at her for saying that. Not even to cover her ass, but also, like, at the end of the day, that was six seasons of work. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't the greatest representation, but it was work. And I feel like when you are a person who does want to be in film and you do want to be able to do... Like, that's a very real struggle that I think any creative person deals with that's marginalized. Like, you know... How much of it, like, how much do you compromise yourself so that you can get paid and so that you can be out there? Because at least you're out there. Yeah. Yeah. It it just hurts, like, especially, like, compared to, even though, like, like she was saying, you know, all the other characters of color, especially some of the black characters like Jimmy and Liberty, don't necessarily get exact justice done to their their characters, their characters still got a lot of screen time. They got a decent amount of A plots. Yeah. But like, you know, like I said, Hazel being the one sort of visible, darker skinned black character, her getting shunted to the side is just like, you know, another evidence of not only racism in, in Hollywood and stuff like that, but just like colorism. Yeah. Which doesn't get acknowledged as much, like Hazel being the darker skinned black person out of the entire cast. And then on top of that, getting this episode, getting shunted to the side, being the token friend, it it's that much more apparent, like how traumatizing this must have been. Yeah. And like, I think- sorry, go on. 
No, I was just thinking, because, like, especially, because I don't know even how cognizant she might have been of it and the reasons why it was happening as when she was younger, because, like, speaking to my own experiences as a black person, I certainly didn't necessarily put down all of my experiences as, oh, well, it's because I'm black unless someone over told me so. And so just sort of, I, I could possibly imagine, I, I can't exactly put words in her mouth, but if I were in that situation, I wouldn't necessarily be thinking, oh, hey, these show writers aren't necessarily doing this because I'm black, it's because there's something not here with me. Like, my talent's not up, or I'm not X, Y, Z, or what they want me to be. Mm-hmm. And so that must have been just as damaging. Yeah, I agree. And that's what I worry about within this age group. Like, it's so easy. Like, no, no option is good in this instance, where, where no matter what, whether she was cognizant of it or not, it, it hurt, it it hurt her, and it sounds like there was nobody on the writing or production side of it that was going to support her. Yeah. So, I, I think it's a required read. I think that if you're a fan of Degrassi, I think it's really important to be aware that this was happening and like it's not just conjecture it confirms that a lot of the gripes that we're having that we're seeing with adult eyes were playing out with these kids during this time um so you know are there still great episodes yes are there still successes in this show yes but it it's something that you know that needs to be talked about at the same time is the negative parts of this are very much there. Um, I think it's important that when, whenever you consume any piece of media, you learn about it and you can still love something if it's problematic, but I I think you need to know the problematic parts of it. Yeah. Exactly. Like acknowledge them. Don't just kind of brush it off to the side and say, Oh, well, you know, this doesn't do X, Y, and Z well, but I'm just going to ignore that. But no, like, you have to sort of embrace the whole of the media that you're mm-hmm. consuming. You're not allowed to cherry pick out parts. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's, that. I mean, that's kind of all I have to say on the topic. I don't know about you two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, we usually do episode grade. F. <laughs> <laughs> okay. F minus. Great. Great, everybody. Um, none, none of it was enjoyable. All of it was handled poorly. I'm done. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Um, character... Because we'll go to character rankings. Jazz, you can sit this out because you're a veteran, so I know you're, you're kind of super biased about every single oh, situation. Yeah. Um, so, Frank, if you want to give any highlights. Uh, gentleman at the Jamaica restaurant, I'm going to make a new one-off like lounge for all the good one-off characters. Good. Uh, Frieza gets to go in there, um, along with Attila, um, and now he gets to join them. And Great. They get, they get to party. Great. Uh-huh. I don't know what those two grown men are going to find common ground with a teenager, but they'll make it work. <laughs> they're just going to, they're going to talk to her gently and be interested in her. Which is something the writers of Degrassi were not. Yeah. Okay. Um, Paige, you're going up for calling out Hazel on her Islamophobia. <laughs> um, and also just for being like, yeah, whatever, I wear what I want. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sean, continue staying at the bottom. Goodbye. JT, Good yet another trapdoor has opened up to drop you farther. 
fucking weirdo. That feels like eons ago since we've talked about that. Um, let's see. Toby also descending. Just knock it off with the homophobia. I'm really not looking forward to those Marco episodes. Um, Craig and Ellie, you remain untouched by this horrid episode. <laughs> um, Ashley, you're rising up for defending people. Jimmy, also rising up. Spinner, you're staying the same. I can't con- I liked you a lot in this episode, but I can't condone everything you were saying. So, Terry, you're going down for you. Also, you're Islamophobia. <laughs> Snake, you're going way down for those weird fucking comments. <laughs> A whole lot of losers this week. Radish, you're rising up a little bit for your decent response to the hate crime and calling it what it was. Um, Jimmy, you're... You said Jimmy. I did? Yeah, you're good. Um, oh, wait, did I say Hazel? No, I don't think you said Hazel after all this. Hazel, Paige has let go of your hand and you are plumbing back to Earth. <laughs> Because it's just like, come on. Uh, not that far, because I still appreciate what you did in Shout, but it's just like, come the fuck on. That was so harsh. Um, I think that's it. Okay. That's it in the episode. I'm so tired. I know. We're, we're almost done, I promise. Oh, Emma and Manny, you, you both are actually going down slightly for praising JT. Fair. Um, so let's try They can and- afford the loss. <laughs> So like let's let's uh Oh no wait, sorry. Oh, Liberty. Sorry. Liberty is rising up for just being like just blackmailing the shit out of JT. <laughs> Can I do recommendations now? Yes, I'm sorry. Okay. Um so I'm gonna try and be easy breezy with this. Um so a recommendation that I'm going to give is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Um there's a movie that has come out, um, which is getting pretty decent reviews. I vote read the book, but if you're somebody who's more visually based, this might be, um, the movie is out um, and it's very well acted, so it might be worth checking out. Um, the reason why I want to recommend this is because it is a black author writing about black characters, which is always really, you know, what this episode didn't have in terms of how it was approached. <laughs> Um, but also it speaks a lot to the main character, um, and her experience having to code switch and having to present herself and behave in different ways depending on the circles that she keeps, whether it's in her private school or in her own community. So, um, if that's an aspect of that, you know, really would have been an interesting aspect to Hazel's character, if that's something that you want to see more of from a character, um, it is a, like, a very, it's a huge YA book right now. The movie has come out, um, and also the author is coming out with another book very shortly. So, um, definitely check it out if you haven't yet. Um, like I said, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. And also follow her on Twitter, because she is, she has a very good Twitter account. That the actress... Andrew, on, um, sorry, sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, Hazel's actress follows her, I think. I think they, I don't know if they're mutuals, but one of them definitely follows the other. Cool. <laughs> Alright, and so, um, my recommendation is, uh, Satoko and Nada. It's a manga that just got its, um, its English translation. I think it dropped on the 9th of this month. 
um, 9th of October, that is. And it's about a Japanese woman and a Muslim woman from Saudi Arabia who are um, sharing a room together at an American college. So they're both out of their element. And then they're both learning about each other's cultures while they're sort of navigating this other space where they are both others. And it's this really cute slice of life. It's not really serious. It's actually a comedy. It's just sort of a series of, of almost sort of like four panel um, individual episodes. And it's just them learning about each other. Um, Satoko sort of trying to figure out everything about about Nada and Nada just being her fabulous self. It's really great because they take sort of, um, sort of like what they did with Frieza in this episode, they take kind of your stereotypical idea of a Muslim woman as being soft and demure and, and soft-spoken, and Nada is a party girl and loves to let her hair down and loves... And it's just really cute watching their relationship develop. Um, the first volume, like I said, is just out. And then I think the rest of them are coming in the next couple of months. Uh, don't quote me on that. But yeah, go pick it out because it's really good. I definitely have to check that out. That sounds really, really... Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah. It's very sweet. Um, I'm going with... Uh, I actually have a few. I'm going with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. If you want a show featuring representation and characters who actually get plot lines. Um, you know, love that show. Uh, everybody on it does amazing work. Um, also, once again, Persona 4 Golden, to cover my, the, my recommendation for the B-plot, where a much more lovable character named Kanji Tatsumi... Oh, Kanji! <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Jess. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna tear your place. I'm gonna tear this place down to the ground. I'm gonna rebuild it twice, twice as great. I'm gonna renovate your ass. <laughs> He's why? Why were you? Why weren't I? Why wasn't I allowed to date him in the game? Please make Kanji make Kanji romanceable. Let me date him. <laughs> Though, I can never date now too, because I'm always like, eh, Kanji Niyoto forever. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah. My recommendation for the B-plot, and if you want an awesome, uh, Muslim character, Miss Marvel. Oh, true. Yeah. We have, she is here. She's one of my figures on my shelf. I'm so. very envious of that figure. <laughs> she is watching us every recording. But, you know, um, Pakistani-American Jersey girl. Yup. From Jersey I, City, baby. I went to my local comic book store to buy Miss Marvel number one. And, like, the guy just looked at me. He's like, in this town, in this town, you think I still have a copy? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, fair enough, I will be back. <laughs> so good. sold out down here in North Carolina. Like, they were kind of hard to get if you weren't, like, one of the first people in the store. Yeah, I remember I just ran. But, like, I, I really, I really, like, my, my relationship with comics is very tense. But, like, that title has always brought me so much joy. Yeah. Like, ugh, she's such a good kid. I want... I love her. I, like, I'm going to... I'm really looking forward to Captain Marvel, but I want that mid-credit scene 
to just be like her or like the very last shot to just be her doing a voiceover about being like an inspiring or like strength and whatnot and then you just cut to like Kamala Khan standing with her back to the camera and looking at herself in the mirror and then just like a giant bicep appears yes oh that would be so good oh my god I'm not gonna lie, the extent to which I am excited for Captain Marvel is because I am hopeful that we might get a Netflix series or something for Kamala. No, I think that's understandable. And, like, I love Carol, and I agree with that assessment. I love Carol, too. But I I love her as a stepping stone for Kamala. I agree. (laughs) Like, real Marvel opinions hour over over here. (laughs) But, like, I I love both of them. But, oh my god, it just... Anyway, read Ms. Marvel... Um, do what you can to want to see Kamala appear on even more stuff, in even more stuff, because she is just a wonderful kid. Well, she's in, um... She's in a cartoon, right? Yeah. yeah. a new cartoon. I don't know how good it is. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. Well, they do have, like, one of, like, an actress I've been following for a while, um, Milana Vintrub as Squirrel Girl, so... And there's also, uh, Gwen Stacy Spider- Spider-Woman in there. I don't know. She's spider Gwen's in there. Um, Patriots in there. Yeah, that's Um, right. Patriots in there. I remember. I remember that now. Yeah. Well, we'll check it out. So is um Miss America. Oh my god! This is like a cast of characters I actually want to see. These are like actual characters I want to see. Wait a second. Okay, I'll I'll check it out (laughs) and I'll follow up on my recommendation on an episode. Um. (laughs) Anyway. Thank you so much, Jazz, for being here with us. Thank you for inviting me. This was, I hesitate to say fun, um, but it was, <laughs> it was really great unpacking all of this with you guys. Aw, well, if people want to either continue unpacking this episode or just talk to you about other things, are there any ways that people can contact you? Yes, I am really active on Twitter as of late. I'm at JazzArray, J-A-Z-Z-A-R-R-A-Y-E. I'm also on Tumblr, um, mostly just doing reblogs, but I will still answer to, you know, private messages, and that's JazzArray minus the E at the end, dot Tumblr.com. Um, and that's about it. I dabble in writing a little bit and stuff. I cosplay. <laughs> you're underselling yourself we we are both but really read jazz's stuff we are in no but like we're in an anthology together like if you want to like you want to like see jazz's writing in action it is in an anthology called as told by things i'm in it too but like read both of our pieces and then so that we don't fight over this but like you can do that um just saying um, but if you want to talk to the podcast themselves, you can, which is just me answering things, um, you can email us at ihopepod at gmail.com. You could follow us on Twitter at ihopepod, Tumblr at ihopepod, um, or you can join us on Facebook at I Hope I Can Make It Through Podcast. Um, we also are setting up a coffee account. So we have these wonderful, fabulous guests, but we really believe in offering compensation for their time. Um, So we don't mind doing this out of pocket, but if you want to help support us in this endeavor to make sure that we give you um, different takes on these episodes than not just Frank and me in an echo chamber, please consider tossing us a coffee or two. Um, If it's not going to guess, it's going to better podcast experience, equipment, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, if you would like to talk to me individually, you can reach me on Twitter at DM is Unbreakable. Um, I don't have a Twitter anymore, but I do have a um, another podcast called Teen Girl Talk. Uh, it's, it's my sister Susie and I um, talking about other teen media that's not Degrassi. Yeah, and um, other than that, um, we're going to try and keep making it through, and we'll hope you're going to be there with us. Until next week, everybody. Later. For the same thing, it's a new thing. Check out this, I bring a older rope, a lower level, cause I'm living low next to the base. Come on, turn up the radio. They're claiming I'm a criminal, but now I wonder how. Some people never know. The enemy could be the Frank Guardian. I'm now a hooligan. I rock the party and clear all the madness. I'm not a racist, preach the teeth the all. Cause don't they never had this? Number one, never wanna run about the gun. I wasn't licensed to have one. The minute they see me, I'm the epitome, a public enemy Used abuse without clues I refuse to blow a fuse They even had it on the news Don't.